645. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out spiritblade.com or patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. What the crap? What am I supposed to do? No, I already did that. The pool's fine. I'm doing the... I did laundry. Good gravy. Tyranny of the timers. On the show today... Uh, review and reactions at long last for, I can't believe I'm saying this, Justice League, the Snyder Cut. <laughs> I can't believe that's a thing that happened. Um, well, it hasn't happened yet. I'm time-traveling Pater. I'm recording this on Tuesday. So uh, we'll see if I'm still alive and if the thing actually releases as it's supposed to on Thursday. Anyway, uh, also a review of the premiere for Falcon and the Winter Soldier and some thoughts about how geeks can live, quote-unquote, in Christ. Uh, if you've ever you know, wondered, oh, that's a weird churchy phrase, what is that all about? Uh, then I take the opportunity to kind of dig into that uh, a little bit. And uh, we'll also look at how geeks can be a source of life even to those that they learn from. Um, and uh, that's all as we continue studying the book of Philippians. Plus, as always, more assorted topics based on your questions, feedback, and my Geek Week. You can check out those timestamps for more details. Here we go. My father once told me that I could use my powers to make a difference. He told me I had a responsibility to help others. He told me I could save this world. Save everyone. Then he told me, walk the gerbil, walk the gerbil. Frickin' weirdo. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Wow. Can't believe this is a thing that happened. Can't believe I enjoyed it as much. Well, I can believe I enjoyed it as much as I did, but I had my doubts. Here we've got with this story a chance for this director to uh, take back the movie that was kind of taken from him by both circumstances and then some choices of executives above him. And uh, what we heard would be coming is something that is very different from the original, which was two hours long. This one clocks in at four hours and two minutes. And I think about 85% of uh, the, like 75% of the original was reshoots, was all reshoots. Um, and he didn't use any of the reshot material that Joss Whedon did. So uh, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised that this was, in many ways, a, a wildly different experience. It felt like, compared to the original movie, um, someone like rebooting a franchise and saying, yeah, it's the same basic story, but we're going to tell this a very different way. We got a bunch of different scenes. 
We got scenes that you are familiar with, things that happen that play out in a very different way or a significantly different way. Um, so it's like the same skeleton of the theatrical release is still there, but there's a bunch of stuff that's added and changed and all for the better, I think, with very, very few exceptions. There's maybe just like one joke that I missed from the Whedon cut that I uh, didn't like that much, but I, I thought it was kind of, you know, kind of a funny little moment. Anyway, I won't say which one. Um, so synopsis on IMDb reads... Determined to ensure Superman's ultimate sacrifice was not in vain, Bruce Wayne aligns forces with Diana Prince, a.k.a. Wonder Woman, with plans to recruit a team of metahumans to protect the world from an approaching threat of catastrophic proportions. The task proves more difficult than Bruce imagined, as each of the recruits must face the demons of their own pasts to transcend that which has held them back, allowing them to come together, finally forming an unprecedented league of heroes. Now you United, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Cyborg, and The Flash may be too late to save the planet from Steppenwolf, Dasad, and Darkseid and their dreadful intentions. Um, I didn't. I, I watched the teaser trailer that first went out for this, and that was it. I skipped all the other trailers. I ended up finding out that certain characters were in it. Um, but there were some surprises, uh, and so I'm glad I avoided trailers as much as I could, and I I'm going to really try and keep this a pretty spoiler-free review as well, but uh, if you just want to avoid all potential hints at anything that might spoil you at all, then I'll just end this part of the review by saying, yes! <laughs> Go watch it! <laughs> but stick around. And I'll explain maybe why this movie wouldn't be for you or why it would be for you. Uh, Zack Snyder is a very uh, divisive director. And so uh, your mileage will definitely vary depending on what you think of, of his movies. So it's four hours and two minutes long. Let's talk about uh, the story, the script, the pacing, the tone in general. Is this self-indulgent? Well, I don't know. I don't know the man's heart. Does it come across to me as self-indulgent or slow or boring, as at least one review has, has already said? Um, as far as the self-indulgent part, maybe a little here and there. Like, are there things in the script that strictly don't need to be there in order to advance the story? Yes. But um, even in the, the worst-case scenarios, there were still things going on that I thought were interesting. And um, the next level up from that would be, hey, they're scratching some geek itches that I really enjoy having scratched. And then above that, and this is the... This was the case for the vast majority of, uh, of of scenes that were added or different or whatever that you know someone might think oh are boring or whatever. They helped me to care about either the threat they were building the ominous feeling of the threat and ex establishing the threat um, with that extra time or helping me care about the characters, their backstories, understanding what drives them so that I better understand what it means for them to succeed or fail at what they are doing. That's what was missing in the Justice League uh, theatrical release. That's what's missing from so many superhero movies that f fall short for me is a sense of the personal stakes for the characters, not just the abstract, oh, the world will be destroyed. We got that. The stakes were huge, from a, on a technical, logical standpoint in the theatrical release. It was like, well, if the bad guy wins, that's the end of the world. But did I feel those stakes? No, I didn't. 
because I wasn't taken into what it would mean for these characters individually that I'm spending time with here for them to lose. Um, what would it mean for them to lose, to not succeed? And, and they really give time to that. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted for the Justice League movie. Um, but, you know, I'll say again, the, the, your mileage is going to vary, I think, entirely depending on if you like Snyder's quote-unquote cinematic language. James Cameron's been quoted as listing Zack Snyder as one of the filmmakers he thinks are just inventing their own cinematic language. And when I, when I heard that quote, I thought to myself, yeah, that that makes sense, Um, specifically calling it a language, because you can either speak and understand a language or not speak and understand a language, you know. Um, That doesn't mean that, you know, if you don't speak Zack Snyder's cinematic language that you're not sophisticated as a viewer or you're unintelligent or anything like that. I think there are reviewers that, like, will kind of belittle people that don't take the same view as them. But I, I think that in the case of what Zack Snyder does... First of all, I, I will say it's, it's a mistake on the, peop, on the part of those who dislike Zack Snyder to say that his work is unintelligent or that uh, the, what he's doing um, is just you know a waste of time or whatever. If you feel what he intends for you to feel when he is doing visual storytelling, instead of just having characters talk and tell you things, but instead he's showing you things, if you are taking from those visual moments what he wants you to take from them, then you are engaging in the story. You're engaging in it in in the same way as you would if you were hearing dialogue being spoken. You understand, like, oh, this is important. They're focusing. Like, one, one simple example, okay, is uh, the bank heist thing is still in this movie at the beginning. And I felt like even more time was spent showing the suitcase as the criminals were walking into the bank. Um, And I didn't notice it until like towards the end of that scene. I was like, oh, that's a thing that he's doing on purpose. And it's a very common cinematic device. But I noticed that the time they spent putting in the in the suitcase made me think about what's in that suitcase. Oh, my gosh. What is what are they going to do that's going to come out of that's going to have to do with that suitcase? It was building my anticipation. Now, I've seen the movie. I know what's in the suitcase, but I I, I was still wondering. I was still wondering. I thought, you know, I, I thought even crossed my mind. Is something different going to be in the suitcase than in the, the original theatrical cut? I don't know. So much of the movie <laughs> was reshot. So there are things going on in the, the how the, fo- the the camera focuses on things that are giving me expositional feelings what that camera shot is saying is this case is bad news this suitcase is bad news that's just one example throughout this movie and throughout Zack Snyder's other movies he's doing things with the camera focusing on things with the camera giving time to focus on things with the camera instead of going pop 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 all over the place scene to scene to scene to scene to scene and it's done he's taking time sometimes to uh, lead us as viewers to ask the question, why is he focusing on this? Maybe we don't know immediately why he's focusing on it. Sometimes we just kind of feel that we intuitively were calibrated for his cinematic language to, to take from it what we're supposed to. There are also a few times where I wasn't sure why he was focusing on the thing he was fo- focusing on. But that would make me think to myself, why are we looking at this? Why are we focusing on this? And, and, it, and it got me into a, a, an attitude of leaning forward and thinking and wondering, and, and my mind was at work, you know. And so I find myself very mentally engaged, emotionally engaged with Zack Snyder's work 
because of the way he uses the camera and the way he tells story visually instead of just relying on people talking to each other. Um, okay, I love the length of this movie. It's four hours and two minutes, and um, unless someone watched this in the theater, if they watched it in the theater and it felt too long for them, I can. I think that's a valid criticism because they're in a theater and they just got to sit and watch this thing all in one go, you know. But this movie primarily is going to be seen by people not in the theater. And I think it was made with that knowledge that it's not going to primarily be seen in the theater. It's going to be seen as a home viewing experience, one where the viewer can choose to pause and take a bathroom break or a lunch break or just take a little breather for five minutes or... They can watch it in chunks over the course of a week, over the course of several weeks, you know. In fact, this movie is divided up into, I believe it's six different chapters or segments or something that each have their own title, part one, part two, and it's got a subtitle next to it. So for those who are reviewing it and, and looking at it from the home viewing experience, unless they are not connecting with the cinematic language aspect, which I think is totally valid, you know, to say I'm, I'm not connecting with it, you know, um, then, but I mean, like to, to just criticize it for the runtime as if minutes itself, you know, can be a, 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 a benefit or a problem for a movie. I don't, I don't think that's valid. Um, the length for this movie actually works for me really well because it keeps the movie fresh because I'm typically going to want to watch a movie like this in one sitting. It's nice to know that I can divide it up, and it's even kind of broken up in a way that will make it easy to do that and watch it like in 45 to 50-minute chunks if I want. Um, but I'll probably want to watch it, you know, in one go. And so that means I won't be able to watch it to death. I just won't have time to carve out four hours into my schedule very often to have this experience. Um, but also the length itself means that the totality of the story is not really easy for me to digest and keep in my memory. You know, if it's a 90-minute movie and you watch a 90-minute movie twice in a single weekend, then, you know, you've, then you've seen, you can remember a lot more of that whole story. But for a four-hour experience, there's just so much more content, period. And so uh, it's going to stay more fresh to me because each time viewing it through, um, I mean, over the course of my life, I just won't get as many viewings in of this movie as some other movies that I might, you know, uh, also like. But... Anyway, so I like that because I, I hate loving a movie and then watching it so many times that I get to the point where I realize, oh, it's not surprising me anymore. It's not fresh anymore. Um, but these long, beefy movies that I enjoy, uh, the, I love them all the more for how long they allow me to sit in that world, stay in that world with a storyteller whose who's, uh, techniques I enjoy, and then also not become overly familiar with it um, so that I can still have some of that fresh experience. So I, I you know, I, watch it how you want. Watch it how you want. Six parts slash chapters. And uh, this is the great world that we live in um, with so much of it being really screwed up. This is one nice element of the world we live in um, that we are moving from the theaters to a more of a home viewing type experience. Now, we'll see what happens when COVID settles down and people are able to go back to the theater more. But this kind of experience would not be made for the theater because you have to have shorter runtime so people can get into the, they can get in more showings per day in the theater and earn more money that way. But when you're making this kind of project, um, you can make the runtime as long as you want it to be. And so we can have something here that's a little different. It's like, well, is it, it's not a TV show. It, it's not really a miniseries. It's kind of divided up. I guess you could watch it that way. It, it's really long to be like a normal movie. What is this experience? And it's 
kind of hard to categorize because of the length, because of the way it's divided up. And I think that's really cool uh, because it, it encourages you to enjoy it on your terms, on your schedule. And I, that's, that's awesome. I would love to get more experiences like this in general. Um, now, it's not constant action. In fact, far from it. Uh, if you want like a typical rock'em, sock'em, lots of action per minute uh, type of superhero experience, then this one is going to disappoint you. But it's still filled, even in the moments where there's not combat or not quote-unquote action, still filled with Snyder's stylistic visual storytelling and lots of non-combat but still very comic booky elements. There's lots of science fiction-y stuff, lots of fantasy stuff going on, and no, it's not in the middle of a combat scene, but you're still dealing with stuff on Themyscira, you're still dealing with weird cyborg stuff and alien technology and stuff. So there's, there's plenty of geek spread liberally all over this movie. Um, now, what is that extra time used for if it's not used for action? How is, you know, what, what's going on the rest of the time? Well, it's used to establish and build ominous feelings, as I said earlier, about the looming danger of Darkseid and what it will mean for him to win. This also, uh, by the way, does include some action-packed flashbacks, as you've got a character kind of providing some narration over some really cool backstory flashback type stuff. Um, and yeah, they do explore the backstories of the main characters, their struggles, their motives, and in telling and exploring those backstories, there is some action peppered in there and some spectacle thrown in there as well. Flash uh, gets some really nice uh, added material um, of the nature that you would expect if you'd seen the, the first movie, but also there's some scenes with Flash that I'm like, dude, oh my gosh, this is great. Um, Cyborg is the one I think that benefits most from this cut. We really get into his backstory so much more, and also his power levels. I mean, both Cyborg and Flash in this movie, compared to the theatrical cut, are powerful. They they cut loose and are capable of some things that I would not have expected uh, that they would go for, you know, in this basically their first appearance, proper appearance in a in a in a movie. So uh, it was really neat to see the added material for both of them. Uh, Aquaman also gets uh, a little bit of added character treatment. He's played a little bit less as kind of like a bad boy with just kind of a bad attitude or whatever, like you know, Mister Cool or whatever, too cool for school, and more like. You know, yeah, he is that. He is that grumpy and he's got that, you know, that edgy attitude. But we start to get the sense in this movie that it's because he's a man that doesn't feel like he has a place in the world and of the options he has to find a place in, he's not really happy with either. Um, and so, there, like, for example, there's, there's a moment um, when he's walking on the docks in the theatrical release, and it's featured in the trailer too for the original movie, and like the waves are splashing around, and he's walking in slow motion, and he's drinking whiskey straight out of a bottle and stuff like that. In the original movie, that's played as like I'm a bad motorcycle kind of guy, down you know. But in this movie, they use a pop music selection there that is much more somber and has a sadness to it, which which suggests like, oh no, we're not supposed to be feeling this guy is a cool bad mamma jamma. Uh, but instead, this is a haunted guy. This is, this is a guy who's kind of hitting rock bottom and it's not cool that he's drinking whiskey out of the bottle. That's saying he is trying to kind of drink his anger and frustration away, you know? So there's a sadness to that moment. Now, I didn't like the pop song that was chosen there. It didn't, it didn't make me feel what I, what I wanted to feel, but I could tell from the selection and the lyrics and things like that what it was going for, what it, mood it was trying to create. And so that I really appreciated. Uh, even Wonder Woman gets a little bit of a, a extra um, 
motivation and stuff. There's like a, a scene where she's fighting Steppenwolf near the end where they added a little bit of dialogue between her and Steppenwolf that really touches to her heart and her motives. And it added drama to that fight scene. Um, and the fight scene got added to also, which was really cool. But it, there, the, the fight scene mattered to me more. The action mattered to me more because of the little exchange between her and um, and Steppenwolf. Did I say Desaad? Uh If I did, I meant to say Steppenwolf. Anyway, um, there are big moments in this movie that are also seen in the original movie, but they are earned here because of the added cost that is revealed to be associated with those big moments, the cost to the characters as they're trying to do whatever they're trying to do. They're all, the, the, what, the, what they're trying to accomplish in some of those big moments is also recontextualized with bigger stakes or different stakes or just the nature of the threat, um, like the ultimate threat that they're up against is much bigger than just kind of like Big Bad is going to wreck house on planet Earth if we don't stop him, which is kind of what I felt the stakes were in the first one, which, you know, that's big. But it's like, no, we're really looking at a nightmarish hell of an existence for every human on the planet. Not just like the Earth being destroyed, but like, no, the Earth will continue, but it'll be in like a crazy Lovecraftian nightmarish state <laughs> if the bad guys win. And there are even bigger stakes than that as well. But I won't, I won't go beyond that. Um, to, to say, I won't say anything beyond that. Um, so I really appreciated that uh, of those returning big moments, they were all recontextualized. And I, I was building in anticipation. I was thinking to myself, you know, even if this plays out, you know, like the thing they're trying to do is still the same thing they're going to do and succeed at, presumably, in this version of the movie. I was feeling it more. I was like, oh my gosh, are they going to succeed? What's going to happen? What's going to happen next? You know, I was just feeling those big moments in a way that I just did not in the original release. And that's really surprising to me, given that I was pretty sure I knew what those big moments were going to be again in uh, in this movie. Um, I mentioned uh, that Cyborg and Flash are powerful. Their power sets are really explored in some cool ways. Um, Mera, which is the love interest of Aquaman in the comics, if you're not familiar with the character, she's kind of like the female uh, 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 protagonist or companion or whatever in the Aquaman movie. That's where you would know her more from. But she did appear in the original cut of Justice League just kind of briefly. And she gets uh, one great new moment I won't spoil, but uh, it was just, and, and it's in the middle of an action scene. It was an action moment, you know. Um, that I think fans of Mera will enjoy. And so there's just like, it, it's not just, one one fear I had going into this movie was, gosh, it's going to cost a lot of money to do visual effects type stuff. So is all the added stuff that we're going to get just people sitting around talking? <laughs> and it is not. So happy to say that, that that's not the case. Um, Lois and Martha get much appreciated extra screen time in this movie um, with nearly... Every character in this movie, I felt what I wanted to feel in the original cut. Again, because we were allowed to sit and soak in their stories, their feelings, and their experiences. Um, one exception is a new character that's introduced that comic book fans will know who he is, or at least DC Comics fans will. Um, and uh, they, they don't do much with that character. They Actually, I think they could have left him out of the movie entirely. But he seems to be in the movie more to... Uh, please fans and then maybe set up his deeper involvement in uh, in future stories in the DC universe um 
I was surprised by the number of jokes that were still in the movie, um, as well as new jokes. I, I Some of the jokes that I thought were maybe Whedon jokes from the Whedon cut were part of the original cut. Now, there were some jokes that uh, were added, um, and I did predict pretty accurately, because there'd be times where I wasn't sure, but other times where I'd say... That's a Whedon. That, that's a Whedon joke. That's a Whedon cut joke. And I think I was pretty much dead on on all those that I was feeling confident were Whedon jokes because they, they weren't in this movie. Um, but what's funny is the ones that were in the original release and turned out to have been part of Zack Snyder's original filming as they appeared again in this one. And he said he wasn't going to use any, a single frame from the reshot material uh, from Joss Whedon. Um, so all this stuff here was stuff he intended to film. Um even the jokes that did not land with me before, when they reappeared in this one, they almost all landed with me to varying degrees. Some of them, you know, I just, just kind of got a mild chuckle. Some of them, they really got a good laugh out of me. And that's in large part because they broke the tension. They broke the tension. Um, a lot of comic relief, quote unquote, uh, in other movies is not comic relief because it's not relieving me from anything. It's supposed to relieve the tension or the seriousness of the main story. But if your main story isn't serious enough, it's not relieving. It's just a joke that just feels like it's there. Uh, and that's why so many jokes in so many superhero movies do not work for me. But here, because of the overall seriousness of the tone, uh, I laughed, I think, at probably 80 to 90% of the jokes, some mild chuckle at least. And part of that's also served by the Flash and how he was fleshed out as this very endearing character um, and, uh, and a fish-out-of-water. I tend to really enjoy fish-out-of-water characters, fish-out-of-water humor, and he certainly is playing that role in this movie. Um, so as far as summarizing the story, this is and this is what I'm spending most of my review talking about. I'm going to talk about some other elements of the, the movie, but uh, as far as just the story itself and the experience... Um, if you are calibrated for Zack Snyder, you will get, I think, more of what you enjoyed in Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman, which in a nutshell I would describe as stylized spectacle and dramatic intensity. Um, but it's at a pace d that's somewhere between those DC movies and Watchmen. It's not as kind of like... Um, slow moving as Watchmen is with which also had like some cool action beats but took a lot more time in between those I'm especially thinking of the ultimate cut it's somewhere between the ultimate cut and the frequency of action in Batman versus Superman um, now if you disliked Watchmen Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman if you disliked all three of those movies well, then I want to ask you to either skip this movie for your own sake or don't let me hear your complaining for my sake because you bring it on yourself. If you've watched this review or heard my review now and you don't like those three movies and you still choose to watch this one, I don't want to hear you complaining. You are bringing it on yourself. You have only yourself to blame. Um, now, I'm not going to give any spoilers for the ending, but I do want to dispel the, the notion that this movie ends on a cliffhanger. That's been stated uh, by an, uh, at least IGN and maybe a couple other outlets. This movie ends on a cliffhanger. This movie ends on a cliffhanger. Well, no, not really. Is it completely resolved and tied up in a neat bow? No. But it is a satisfying ending. It, is, it completes the story that was the, the, the main focus of this whole thing. Um, so it ends in a satisfying way. The heroes have saved the Earth, but th there is knowledge that greater danger is likely coming in the future, and we ought to be preparing for that. Um, so 
uh, if if you're kind of put off or kind of hesitating, like, oh, I don't like the sound of it ending on a cliffhanger. I'm just setting myself, uh, no, no, no. It's not, not a cliffhanger in the traditional sense or in the sense that, you know, from which that phrase or word was coined, where they're like literally, oh, my gosh, roll credits, you know. <laughs> It's not that at all. A very satisfying conclusion. Um, I, I think what's interesting about this movie compared to the original, and as I think about DC movies going forward, is that they could continue forward either treating this movie as canon and ignoring the theatrical cut of Justice League, or um, c treating the original Justice League movie as canon um, or writing it in a way, I think this is this would be a nice middle ground if they're just too nervous about like, well, I don't know if we want to treat this HBO Max version as canon. I think they could, with just a little bit of clever writing, write going forward from here in a way that's that uh, allows the viewer to select which movie is in their canon, and it would be consistent with both. Um, so I, I I'm thrilled that even though there was a suit at Warner Brothers that reportedly said this movie is a cul-de-sac that goes nowhere. You know, it's it's a it's a experience that there is no intention to continue on from here. I don't think there has to be. I think that whatever is put out next, unless it really leans into the 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 Whedon elements, the Whedon plot elements um, of the original cut, I think that fans will likely easily be able to carry this movie with them as their uh, selected canon going forward. Now, there's also rumors that with the Flash movie, which is modeled after the Flashpoint comic book story, that'll be a soft reboot of the DC Universe in the movies anyway, uh, because he's going to do some time altering type stuff. Uh, but uh, either way, I think that you'll likely be able to move forward and treat this as your justice league and your head cannon and without really any struggle. So uh, now as far as the performances go, I want to say that Ray Fisher who plays Victor stone or cyborg stands out to me when comparing his performance with the original. Um, I connected with his performance much better here. The original cut, and maybe it's because he was feeling like he was phoning it in or struggling with what he was having to do that was different or whatever, but, or maybe it's the way he was shot and edited and the takes that were chosen for that cut compared to the takes that were chosen for this cut. Whatever the difference was, I felt watching him that I, I was watching kind of an actor making actor choices in Justice League, the, the original, but in this cut... I connected with his performance much more. He still doesn't stand out to me as like, oh, wow, this guy is a, a an actor that I really am engaging with and I feel like his performance is really realistic and you know I can feel the, pa the pathos of it. No, not, not that kind of thing. But um, there was nothing about his performance that, that took me out of the movie and, ma and made me feel like he was artificial, uh, as was the case with the first one. Ezra Miller, I want to comment on because uh, I had issues with his performance in the first one, and that was largely because of I, what felt like very forced jokes coming from him. Um, well, as I said, the tone of the overall movie helped a lot of his jokes this time around, really worked for me. And so I, I, he also has some added dialogue and some performance opportunities that make me endeared to him. I find him so sweet and endearing and also a fish out of water. As I said earlier, I love fish out of water characters. And so, uh, you know, this guy who needs friends, which is a line that's still part of this movie, you know, um, 
uh, he's uh, very likable to me and uh, was just, yeah, a, a real treat in this movie. Henry Cavill is not doing the 1950s Superman. He, he definitely doesn't have the weird lip thing going on, as you would suspect, uh, since those are all Whedon shots. Uh, but he's also not doing the 1950s Superman, which, you know, I've, I was pretty confident was a Whedon type of directorial choice anyway. And this is more, this is the Superman that we had in Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman. I don't feel like, oh my gosh, he's playing a different character like I did in the uh, theatrical cut. I was, this was a continuation of that same character, and I so appreciated that. Um, all of these characters have distinct personalities that I got to know enough, and I enjoyed their performances. So, uh, yeah, no, no complaints. All right, so as far as the stunts and visuals, I'm just going to comment briefly on this because I've already said it a lot along these lines. Um, it has a 4 by 3 aspect ratio. If you weren't aware of that, it's not going to be in the widescreen format that fills up your screen. It won't have, also won't have black bars at the top or bottom. If anything, it'll have black bars on the left and right. I was a little nervous about how boxy and confining that would feel, but actually... I mean, we, we watched it on, um, I think our, our TV room screen is, uh, 70 inches maybe. Um, and I, it did not feel confined or claustrophobic to me. Um, but just be prepared for that going in. I, I think it helped me knowing, okay, it's going to be four by three. He did that because his vision for the film was that it be seen best in IMAX theaters. And he still, I think, hopes for it to be shown in IMAX theaters in the future. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't think the, the length of the movie lends itself to being seen in the theater, but uh, um, whatever the case may be, uh, I, the, I, had, I adjusted to the 4x3. It did not feel weird or boxy um, really at all. Uh, I also wondered, you know, is this movie going to look cheaper because it's kind of like made for TV now, right? <laughs> it's an HBO Max original and... Um, I had reason to hope that the, the effects would look good because of some, you know, uh, what's it called? Raised by Wolves, which I thought had some really great visual effects in it. And uh, I was not disappointed by the visual effects in this movie. Now, there are still some CG-looking CG moments, but I have an eye that's cursed to pick those out anyway. I felt like the quality and the realism factor of the visual effects was on par or better than the uh, theatrical version of the movie. And the drama really helps me accept CG. If I care about the characters and I'm feeling the stakes, then the CG feels real. You know, it feels like a real threat. It feels like it's really there because I feel like they're really dealing with a threat. You know, um, there's lots of new visual effects material. There is some reused material, but lots that expands on or entirely adds new visual effects material to the movie. So I didn't feel like this was a skimping cheap experience at all when it came, when it came to the visual effects. Um, so let's see here. Oh, and uh, even the, um, the, the more dramatic parts uh, were engaging because uh, of the Snyder's kind of slow motion, his whole cinematic style. Again, your mileage is going to vary depending on how well you connect with and get from his style what he's intending for you to get from it. Um, if you're not picking up on that, you're going to have a hard time with this movie, and it'll, it may seem slow and boring to you. Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, I, I think that's probably if I were to speculate why someone would watch a Zack Snyder movie and say that it's boring because they are not uh, reacting to the storytelling that he's doing in those kind of visual storytelling moments. Um, 
So let's see here. Oh, I got to talk about the music, which I don't normally talk about. But uh, Junkie XL is now being credited in this movie as, I believe it's Tom Hulkenborg. Hulkenborg is his last name. It's the first time I've seen him credited by that name instead of Junkie XL. I used to think, because he co uh, wrote the music for Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman with Hans Zimmer, or maybe just Batman vs. Superman. He co he co did co wrote uh, with Hans Zimmer. This one he was flying solo, and I was like, oh man, Junkie XL. That sounds like a DJ name. Is it going to be all weird electronic music or something? And uh, I learned before watching this movie that that's not the case. That this guy's a legit composer and uh, may have been responsible for more of the things I really loved about the orchestral stuff going on in those last two movies than I assumed. Um, and so he really made much of this movie for me made much of what it was the score is tender inspiring epic edgy it's just a range of different vibes and feels and styles that all fit within what has been done before you know it's more of that it's more if you like the score and the level of variation and the different sounds and feelings of previous movies it just feels like more of that. Um, it's uh, There are no cheap callbacks to the Danny Elfman Batman theme, as there was, I thought, uh, in uh, the original cut, or the John Williams Superman theme, um, which was also called back to in that cut. Uh, it honors, instead, the themes and style previously co-created with Hans Zimmer. So uh, I think that you will uh, know what to expect and enjoy it if you enjoyed it in the past. Uh, there are, as I said earlier, one to two instances of pop music choices I didn't like, but I appreciated at very least the tone and the ideas that they were going for. Now, as far as themes, is there anything of moral, philosophical, or spiritual significance going on in the themes of this thing that might trigger some worthwhile thought or conversation? Um, not as strongly in this movie as, as the past two movies. As far as the theme of hope, which was a big, I felt like a forced theme in the theatrical cut, it's still there, but as I wanted in that movie... We're we're feeling the need for hope rather than being told constantly, boy, the world needs hope. Superman's gone. The world needs hope. No, we were feeling the heaviness of the world in the wake of Superman's death uh, at the beginning of, of this movie and throughout much of it. Um, and, uh, and, and so I really um, I think that hope is probably a theme in there somewhere. What's interesting to me is that, if anything, they call back to this idea that Superman is a model for humans and that they to to, to be an example to them of what humans can be if they choose to be a force for good in the world, you know? And a lot of people will say that Jesus, that's mainly what he is. He's an example. He's a model for us. And and when I would hear that, I would kind of recoil at that a little bit. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's so much more than that. But as I watched Man of Steel this week, and I noticed that theme again of how uh, Kal-El was the first natural birth on Krypton in like thousands of years, uh, and so therefore was not locked into a pre-genetically determined purpose for his life. He is basically a model um, for uh, what we can be if we have the the ability to choose what we want to be. We can choose to be a force for good. We can choose to be something wonderful. Now, as believers, we know that we can try to choose all we want in this world, but we are uh, in some significant ways broken, and we're needing to be healed and restored to the the ideal that God has in mind for us, um, which Jesus wants to do for us. And so in that sense, Jesus is, especially in his resurrected body, a model of like what humanity is meant to be and can potentially become. But the road to get there is not merely one to just of us trying really hard. Um, we need to be rescued first. And for all the talk in some of these movies uh, and pushing of the theme that like Superman is a, an example in his behavior, what's also worth recognizing is Superman, first and foremost, saves people's butts from the fire. 
He gets them out of the horrible danger that they are in. And that is what Jesus has to do for us first before we can ever eventually hope to become like him. Um, and so we, we have that consistency intended or not. We have that consistency intended or not in the parallel between Superman in these movies and Jesus, where he is a model for humans as Jesus is. He's an example that we should aspire to follow, but we also need him to rescue us first. And then we can look at him and move forward uh, looking at him as an example for a potential glorious future in which we become like him, um, which ultimately will happen when we are given a resurrected life in the way that he has as well. Um, I think probably the more intended theme maybe would be working together. I mean, all these people coming from different backgrounds and they have their, their issues that are haunting them and they have to kind of work through those and find purpose in working together. Um, but, you know, I, like so many things, there's lots of little moments and phrases here and there throughout this movie, but not a strong, consistent theme that I noticed compared to, say, Man of Steel or, or even Batman versus Superman. All right. Now, I have no idea what your tastes are in movies, but if I were time traveler, I'd go back in time and say, Peter. Okay, well, get HBO Max now. What are you waiting for? Um, unlike Wonder Woman 1984, this seems better optimized for home theaters. Uh Holly watched the original Justice League with you in the, the theater, as you know. She likewise was not impressed, but you watch, you're going to watch this movie with her. She's not a fan of the comics. She's picked up some geek from Geek Osmosis living in the house with you, but she's not a fan. But she also valued the character development, and she felt for these characters, some of which she wasn't very familiar with at all. And she felt for all these characters and really enjoyed it. So not only you are going to feel what you're intended to feel in this movie, but your wife, who is not a geek, is going to feel a lot of that, too. It's not going to blow your mind, in part because you've seen the original and you can highly suspect a, a number of main issue uh, elements that are coming in the story. Um, and it won't move you like Man of Steel did. But it will move you many times throughout the four-hour experience. And it'll give you some awesome nerd fan moments you didn't get in the theatrical cut and some captivating spectacle you did not get in the theatrical cut, and in general be exactly what you always wanted that theatrical cut to be. Go watch it, then watch it again, then maybe one more time before the month is over and you let your HBO Max subscription lapse. This one is rated R for violence and some language. I would personally call that a mild R in terms of the, the, the violence and language in this movie, but an R nonetheless. Uh, stay tuned for my spoiler-filled reactions coming first to patrons over at patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions and a little later to everyone else. Those are my thoughts. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, P-O-S-T-O-S, Helix Reviews, the Retro Rewind podcast, and the Cellcast. You know, the funny thing is, is that all of those except for the Cellcast is actually just one, that's one podcast. The Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, P.O.S. T.O.S. Helix Reviews, the Retro Rewind podcast. Now, actually, I should I should have said that P.O.S. T.O.S. Helix Reviews, the Retro Rewind podcast. That's all one name of a thing. P.O.S. T.O.S. Helix Reviews, the Retro. <laughs> what the crap? What is wrong with me? My gosh. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. All right, this is um, <clears throat> this is um, audio journal 
number five since the incident. I'm still pretty sure I've developed some kind of superpowers despite the negative results in the last four tests. Um, I'm going to give it another try today after a trip to the hardware store. This is invulnerability test number one. Healing factor. This is healing factor test number one. Episode one of Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. The synopsis on IMDb reads, Following the events of Avengers Endgame, Sam Wilson slash Falcon and Bucky Barnes slash Winter Soldier team up in a global adventure that tests their abilities and their patience. And specifically regarding episode one, the synopsis reads, Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes realize that their futures are anything but normal. And that really doesn't do the, the story justice. I'll tell you a little bit more. I mean, I don't want to spoil things for you and let you just enjoy it yourself, because I think it is worth checking out, especially if you're a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you kind of care about seeing where that timeline continues to develop. Uh, as far as the basic story script pacing tone of this thing... Um, it's, it opens with a Falcon-centered military mission that uh, really has some great action and hopefully sets the bar for what we can expect in future episodes. Hopefully that's not just them kind of like really blowing a bunch of their money <laughs> on the premiere uh, and tricking us into tuning in for what will eventually be a lot of conversations. I think they have to know that they can't build a show just on those those on dialogue and drama and stuff like that. Even though I love that stuff and I hope they do lean into it, I, I think there's indications that they will in a number of ways based on this pilot. But uh, if this uh, episode is an indication of kind of what we can expect. Um, I, I'm really impressed with what I'm seeing here in terms of the, the production values they're putting into it. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more later. The tone is largely serious, I think, certainly compared to most Marvel movies. The Russo brothers, who directed um, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, I think they also did Captain America Civil War, and then they also did uh, those later Avengers movies, uh, in, uh, Infinity, Gauntlet, Infinity War and um, Endgame. Uh, and they brought, you know, a much more serious tone with uh, real stakes involved. And uh, and, and so the, the tone feels like a continuation, at the very least, of what they were doing with Captain America Winter Soldier, where it's um, serious and it's got a military vibe to it. And which which brings some serious to it, to it as well because characters are getting killed. Guns are actually like a threat. We're more we're closer to a street level of power levels of the of the protagonists as opposed to the more cosmic Green Lantern or Superman levels, you know. Um, and so uh, guns are much more of a major factor and a much uh, bigger danger and people are being killed by them. And so it has that more kind of grounded feel that you're going to get when you have a kind of military backdrop. That said, it's still lots of high-flying sci-fi action and, and stuff like that. Uh, but I, I, as far as tone, I just want to say that it feels like a nice continuation of the, the Russo movies' tones. Um, Bucky is also introduced with uh, a Winter Soldier flashback, which is just brutal and intense action there, followed by a scene where he's sitting down with a psychiatrist as part of the conditions that he's of his pardon. So he is not being held accountable for what he did as the Winter Soldier. He's regained his mind, and yet he is still very haunted by all the years that he spent as the Winter Soldier. He seems to, maybe it limited to nightmares, 
nightmares or maybe he has full memory because his nightmares actually seem to be memories of what he did as the Winter Soldier. So in some sense, he has retained memories of what he did and it really haunts him. And so he's exploring with the psychiatrist, you know, healing from that, facing it properly, um, and letting other people into his life and uh, figuring out how to move forward with the, the state that he's in. And so I, I really appreciate that's probably like the main thing as far as because I, I really care about character drama, character stories, character-driven uh, stakes in my fiction. And so what they're doing with Bucky right now has me interested. It's probably the thing that would bring me back for future episodes. Uh, Falcon, his uh, kind of like grounded, no pun intended, storyline is about trying to help his sister keep their family home and business in the wake of the economic fallout caused by the blip, where for five years... Uh, half of the population of the world, uh, Sam Wilson himself included, disappeared and were basically dead or just ceased to exist. And then they were eventually uh, brought back. Um, But, uh, you know, the world economically, as you can imagine, was shattered first by people leaving. And then in the space of five years, before you have really, really a chance to figure out how to recover from that, all of the people came back, you know. So I appreciate that, uh, this is kind of a grounded story for Falcon getting into uh, his life as, you know, as just a civilian. And the fact that he's not this millionaire just because he's, an you know, an Avenger. But uh, he actually has probably pretty conservative pay considering what he, you know, what he does. Um, and has financial struggles and his family members have financial struggles that he's wanting to uh, to help them with. Um and uh, but but I I do have to say that I'm less interested in his story than I am in Bucky's. I, I'm not sure why that is. I think that you know we don't know Falcon as much from the movies, or at least he doesn't have as strong of character traits that have been established by the movies at this point. He's just kind, he strikes me as a nice guy, uh, a dedicated guy who's looking to serve his country and do the right thing. And there's not a lot more that we know about him and what really drives him and stuff. And so this series is going to be the opportunity to put that on display and really establish and then further develop what drives Falcon that we could, as audience members, relate to. And and right now, I'm not seeing much of that. Um, And also, I think his personal issues are less intertwined with his role as the Falcon compared to Bucky, who the stuff he's dealing with is directly a result of what what he went through you know as um uh as the winter soldier the, the, the there is an element of sam's you know role as the falcon that comes into because cuz he's kind of famous he's known for being the falcon by by a number of people that he runs into and so that plays a role a little bit into what he's trying to do for his family but it's just not nearly as intertwined with uh, this kind of personal backstory that they're dealing with uh as as bucky's and so i i think that's maybe a, a reason another reason why i'm not as interested in his story yet uh, but I, I am hopeful that they'll be able to do some things in the next episode uh, that, that'll help connect me a little bit more, get me a little bit more invested. There are a few jokes here and there, as you would expect from uh, a, a Marvel Cinematic property, but they largely don't kill the tension for me, as was the case uh, with how jokes were used by the Russo brothers in uh, in their movies. Um, some of the jokes come out of a place of being jaded, say on the part of Bucky, or they're otherwise fitting for the moment and the character, and I think 
that helps sell the jokes for me a lot. If they're not just witty banter and wisecracks in the middle of action, which does tend to diffuse the tension for me, but instead are coming out of uh, where the characters are at, some vulnerable aspect of how they're feeling uh, that, that I can relate to. You know, that's that's when I'm the humor's going to connect with me and not dissolve the tension. And I felt like that it, it was working for me in that regard. Um, I, I love the fact that in this this series going forward it's a mini series so it's not i think it's just going to be like a set of a series of episodes and then it's done forever um but i love the fact that they're dealing with the fallout of the blip and presenting this world as just really hurting and broken and somewhat chaotic and and very much in a recovery mode now as far as the cast goes we're seeing more of sam wilson's personality in anthony mackie i think um but i've never found falcon interesting as i think i alluded to before in how he was written or really performed by mackie it's not that mackie has been like a, a poor actor i i think it's uh, a case that's very common where the actor wasn't given much to work with and so what would he do in terms of you know that would be s- subtle or that would show some other layer of personality if it's not on the page you know and and the actor maybe also additionally is not really given the freedom to kind of bring their own headcanon of the character into their performance very much I, I don't know we don't really know what was done director from a directorial standpoint uh or what freedom he was given and so yeah it's just very kind of a vanilla type of character at this point and the performance as well but uh so he does have a bit of an uphill battle to engage me with his character and not a good start as well with the story that they're giving him to to connect with me but i am at least a little bit curious and it is nice to see a little bit more of this kind of relaxed civilian clothing side of of, uh, Sam Wilson's character. So uh, I'm willing to give it some more time. Sebastian Stan's performance um, wasn't like this uh, mind-blowing thing, like, oh my gosh, he's like a riveting actor or whatever. But he's doing really solid work for my tastes in the scenes that he's in here. Also, some of the camera work they they use to play up the drama in some really nice ways. But he drew me in, in particular, in one scene where he's trying to hide these feelings of deep remorse uh, that come up that someone kind of brings up that kind of triggers this memory of remorse and it felt very subtle because he's trying to hide it but felt very real at the same time so I'm really looking forward to seeing more of uh, Sebastian Stan's performance as far as the stunts and visuals I already kind of alluded to this at the beginning but the action looks pretty cinematic in that opening scene especially both the one for Falcon and then the shorter one uh, that was no less impressive for, uh, for, for Bucky I'm very close to what I would expect from uh, theatrical quality effects of a Marvel movie. Uh, ironically, it was some small dialogue scenes that felt a little TV-like visually for reasons I can't quite put my finger on. I, I think maybe the lighting, I was like, I think we're not outdoors like this scene is supposed to be taking place outdoors. I think we are on a set and we've got some lighting stuff that's just making it feel a little artificial maybe something related to camera work in those scenes that was just kind of simplistic and straightforward and felt less cinematic maybe the acting quality of some of the supporting actors that just kind of came on for one or two lines and did their thing and were gone you're going to get a a different caliber of actor doing those kinds of roles in tv than you will i think in in a lot of movies and so there was something mostly visual that kind of showed betrayed a little bit of kind of a tv type budget in some of those scenes but you know, I, I, I'm thankful that it was happening there and not 
in the big scenes, you know, where it potentially is going to count more uh, that have a lot of action and stuff. So I have to say that I'm pretty satisfied with uh, what was going on visually in this uh, in this uh, episode. Uh, as far as themes, is there anything of moral, philosophical, or spiritual significance going on in the themes of this thing that might trigger some worthwhile thought or conversation? Um, maybe. They're not leaning super heavy into anything that I noticed at this point, but there were a few things they... Uh, at least made brief statements on that maybe will be developed further uh, as the series continues. First, James Rhodes, also known as War Machine, is having a talk with Sam Wilson and is just kind of making the observation, talking about the, the fallout from the blip, that the world is broken right now and everyone's waiting for someone to come along and fix it. And so uh, that that's going to play in, in terms of plot, to... Uh, what the, the, the legacy of Captain America and what's going to happen with that, which is a big question at this point. Um, but uh, just acknowledging the brokenness of the world and the, the rough state that we're in, um, I think uh, sets the stage at least for them to say some really interesting things about humanity and what we need at our deepest level. Uh, we've also got Bucky trying to figure out what he's going to live for. You know, he's experienced a lot of healing in terms of his mental health, but there's a long way to go. I mean, basically the healing he has experienced up to this point is healing the comic booky stuff. I mean, typically people do not deal with being the Winter Soldier for decades. <laughs> uh, so he's healed of that in the sense that he has control of his mind now. But now he's in a much more realistic and relatable place of he has basically some form of post-traumatic stress uh, that is really consuming him that uh, a lot of people can really relate to. And so uh, I think that there's going to be themes that they're dealing with there. But then also for, for those who haven't experienced post-traumatic stress, he's asking the question, you know, the psychiatrist says to him at one point, well, you're free now. You've been pardoned. You have your mind back. You're free now. And his response there is to say, free to do what? You know, he's asking the question, what is what should my life be about now? And that is a core question that uh, all of us can relate to if we if we stop and think about it and ask ourselves that that same question. So uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of what he draws from potentially in the future to give his life meaning and purpose. Um, so I think that's something that we can kind of keep an eye on. Um, Sam is trying to preserve. Uh, what he calls in one moment his family legacy. You know, he's wanting to... Um, it, it's not purely for financial reasons that he's trying to save this family house and family business. His sister actually wants to leave those things behind and just say, let's just get on with life. She wants to sell those things and is ready. So pragmatically speaking, she's not like in these dire straits financially. She can at any time sell her part or her interest or whatever in the family business. Um and then move on with life. But Sam wants to preserve their family legacy. And so uh, assigning value to that is kind of a, an interesting thing. I think a lot of us can relate to that. But some people certainly give more value to their family's uh, legacy than than others. And really their identity can be kind of wrapped up in their family and their family history. And, um, and uh, I, I don't want to say that there's no value in acknowledging kind of where we came from and gaining insight into where we came from uh, ge genetically in our recent genetic history, especially, you know, or in our upbringing and stuff. So I'm not saying that, you know, we should throw all those things away, but 
As Christians, we know that our identity is ultimately not in those things. In fact, our identity is much more found in the love that God has for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and now wants to usher us into uh, a totally new and better existence for all of eternity. And we have been adopted as believers in Christ into his family and we're now part of this kingdom that is going to come in its fullness and we're only seeing glimpses of right now and so um you know as far as like where we find our sense of identity uh it's it's a um it's a far inferior option to look for our identity in the circumstances of our birth you know uh, or other kinds of circumstantial things like that um Let's see. The government also wants to create a hero for America. They want to see the legacy of Captain America continue in some way. And so they're going to try and bring that about in some form. And so I think a good uh, thing to keep an eye on going forward is, okay, well, what's what are what are the writers saying the government might do to create a hero? What, in other words, uh, uh, what will the government in this story come up with that is that represents the ideals of America? You know, and so I think that could be an interesting thread to follow. But you know, you may have noticed that my comments here are talking about you know threads that have just been established, not really any strong statements that have been made yet. But I think these are the threads that we would want to keep an eye on as we watch the rest of the the series unfold to see kind of uh, what uh, what virtues, what worldview ideas are being kind of affirmed by the, the writers in this series. Anyway, I have no idea what your tastes are in uh, TV shows, but if I were a time traveler, I'd go back in time and say, Peter, um, you can wait on this. You need to prioritize watching Justice League again. That was freaking awesome. <laughs> but uh, this is solid. This is solid. There's there's no rush to watch it right now. But after it's all done and out, and you happen to have Disney Plus for some other reason, give it a try. See if you feel like sticking with it after... Give it, give it at least two episodes, maybe three, to really give it a chance and see where they're going. You'll be interested enough to want to do that and want to see at, at least a second or third episode after watching this uh, first episode anyway. so uh, But, the, uh, you know, it's not something you want to pay for a subscription for Disney Plus just to watch this. But, you know, let things build up for a while on Disney Plus. Maybe get three to five things that you're kind of interested in checking out. And once you're in a place like that, then pull the trigger on Disney Plus for one month and just give your time to the things that actually hold your interest. And this may very well be one of them. Uh, it's rated TV 14. Uh, I couldn't find a description, but I'm thinking likely for language and violence. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0. <laughs> This week, over at YouTube.com slash Christian Geek Central, if all goes according to plan, then by the time you hear this, you should be able to find there my uh, Solo Tabletop Game Fest Part 1. That was a live stream that I did during the daytime hours that most of you missed uh, because of that a few weeks ago. And now I'm going to be releasing that in one-hour installments over the course of the coming weeks or months or whatever the uh, frequency works out to be. I'll kind of gauge, based on the popularity of the first episode, how frequent I want to make the uh, the other ones, whether it's going to alternate with the uh, Extra Life live stream that I'm still in the middle of putting out in 
one-hour installments or if it will accompany it on a separate day. I don't know yet. Be interested in your feedback on that. Uh, I know some of you guys are just strictly interested in video games, and so watching me play some tabletop games may not be of any interest to you. So any feedback you guys want to give me, I would be uh, totally open to and grateful for. But that first episode I titled, or part, not episode, part, I titled Behold the Poop Wizard. Uh, and I'm playing a game of Mage Knight, and th that title will make more sense if you choose <laughs> to watch that video. Uh, also, by now, hopefully you should be able to see my Justice League Snyder Cut review on our YouTube channel. And um, either now or coming soon on our channel, some spoilery reactions to the Snyder Cut. I plan on... I mean, it's a four-hour thing, and so as I record this on Tuesday... I anticipate that I'm going to have just a lot to unload about that uh, will not be in the review. Um, and so, yeah, uh, so keep an eye out for that. I'm going to, in some way, even if the ex exclusivity window uh, is very brief, I am going to put that up for patrons first at patreon.com slash Productions. So uh, you can look for it there if uh, if you don't see it on the YouTube channel. And if it's not on the YouTube channel, just uh, be patient for just a little bit, and uh, it, it should arrive there soon. And then also, you should be able to see my video version of the Falcon and Winter Soldier premiere review. While you're there, if you want to like, share, subscribe, and click that notification bell, or anything else you want to do to uh, stay connected to this content yourself, be reminded of it, it's really easy to lose track of it. You know, they have those like buttons, um, and that, but that doesn't really connect you to things it doesn't let you it doesn't notify you you would think that subscribing would notify you every time a new video goes up no no there's another layer you got to click that notification bell is what i understand to be the case if you want to actually be notified so i don't really know what a subscription of a youtube channel is for what purpose that serves <laughs> because there's one more hoop you got to jump through if you actually want to get the content delivered to you uh, anyway, so uh, those are great ways to help you stay connected to also algorithmically help other people find uh, this uh, this content. So a anything you want to do for either purpose, I would be grateful for. Uh, let's see. Christian Geekly News highlights from our Twitter feed at Christian underscore geek include just a couple of items because I am recording this so much earlier in the week than, than usual just because of scheduling things. If you were wondering, I normally record this on like Thursdays or Wednesday in the rare situation. Um, and then in like maybe once a year, I'll record an episode a couple, a week or so in advance if I'm getting ready to go on Christmas break or something. So this is really weird for me to be recording on a Tuesday, something that's just, just going to release on Friday. So slim pickings bit because uh, it's only Tuesday right now for me. But... Lorehaven tweeted out, when secrets are revealed, spiritual and temporal forces collide, and Catherine and everyone she loves is about to, to be caught in the crossfire. New in the Lorehaven library, The Watcher, from author Sarah Davison. Uh, Lorehaven, again, great resource if you want to know what's out there in terms of uh, imaginative fiction being written by Christians. Realm Makers, uh, also of interest to the writing world of Christian geekery, tweeted out, Diana Foe is coming to Realm Makers. Realm Makers is a conference, I've mentioned this a few times in the last number of weeks, whatever it's been, uh, that is put on by Christians, and like the heart of it is really to equip uh, Christians that want to get into the imaginative fields of, of fiction writing, um, 
But I mean, anyone is welcome to come to these conferences. So anyway, uh, they're just letting you know that Diana Foe coming to the uh, to the next Realm Makers conference, releasing fiction serials over the course of 10 to 16 week sessions. Serial Box is about delivering addictive episodes straight to the user's digital device to be read or listened to anytime or anywhere. And Diana Foe of Serial Box is going to be there and uh, will um, uh, undoubtedly have some wisdom and experience to share for those that are exploring serialized uh fiction um and uh which is totally an interesting thing that's developed only because of the internet in recent years anyway uh for links to those stories and to stay up to date on the notable news and events from the wider world of christian geekery be sure to follow christian geek central on twitter at christian underscore geek over at patreon.com slash spirit blade productions this week i i what did i i posted the the oh yeah the the newest episode or part whatever i'm calling it of the shadow hearts chronicles that's me playing through a game that i have very strong feelings about both positive and negative it's about uh, it's about as div- i'm about as divided as i can be uh on my feelings of a game it's a very uh unusual animal for me and uh, in this one my main character goes berserk i do some time traveling um and all that is explained in episode or part whatever it is five i believe of the shadow hearts chronicles um also my early snyder cut spoiler reactions which might have already gone up there at some point before getting out to the youtube channel but uh, you can look for them there as i mentioned earlier and then i posted the pater's brain uh, installment covering the month of February, journal entries in the month of February, talking about uh, just what what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm experiencing behind the scenes as I'm madly spinning multiple plates with really no uh, particular plate spinning skill, <laughs> trying to uh, keep all these things going that make up what is Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions. Um, In particular, in February, the focus of multiple journal entries was exploring the potential for future tabletop gaming content, which ultimately became, worked itself out as this uh, live streaming event that I did uh, early in March. And... uh, uh, and and maybe which I think is going to be a significant stepping stone to more tabletop gaming content for me in the future. And so you can kind of get uh, inside track on how I'm formulating those ideas, why why I'm thinking about that kind of content the way I am, what kinds of things I think could work, and what kinds of things I explore a little bit and realize are not going to work, uh, and then also like. Uh, Making that an intentional thing. That's something that I always wanted to do with my content. I mean, some content that I put out there is, uh, you know, at least on the surface, just for fun. But I'm always looking for ways that, without forcing it, in, in, a, in a very organic kind of way, I can bring issues of our faith um, and just walking with Christ into the content that I create. And so I kind of explored uh, and brainstormed what that could possibly look like in a uh, in tabletop gaming content so uh, so anyway yeah those those journal entries every month are just kind of to give you uh, uh, a, a look inside my heart as i'm trying to figure out okay i know that i want to do ministry that is useful to christian geeks first and foremost and then anybody else of course that stumbles along uh, and finds the content you know randomly but uh, it, it's it's always a process that I'm trying to figure out. I, I don't really settle into things. I try a bunch of things, as as patrons in particular know in recent years. I've tried a number of things that 
have ended up, you know, coming to a point where I'm like, ah, oh, no, that's this is not this is not a good idea to move forward with this, or the timing isn't right at the moment, uh, and so it's. Uh, there's all kinds of things that I'm exploring and constantly considering and getting feedback from patrons on, which I really, really appreciate. That really does help to guide my decision-making process. So, um, anyway, uh, and then also, uh, let's see what, oh, I'm trying to figure out, uh, the hangout date and time for our March discord hangout. If you're at the $5 tier, you can join me live monthly, for a Discord chat while I sit and play video games and record myself doing that. And then uh, pretty much as soon as that that Hangout is over, I post that Hangout for all other patrons, $1 and up, to be able to watch in an archived form. Um, and in particular, I decided to delay it this month in part because I thought, well, this, is, this Snyder Cut thing is such a, a weird geek phenomenon, you know, one of those things that, like many things, have, have you know, over the, in in recent years... Well, in the last 10 years, even before Kickstarter, uh, if you really think about it, even if you're not into the DC movies, the fact that this Snyder Cut thing exists is really a sign of the times. Uh, I remember way back in the day, and I'm getting sidetracked here, but this, that's kind of what I do. <laughs> but I remember when, like, Firefly got a movie that helped cap off that, uh, that, that very short-lived series. And very famously, Farscape ended season four on a on a horrible horrible cliffhanger and i think i, I don't know if um if that the tv movie that ended that series came before the firefly movie i think it might have but i'm not sure but there had certainly never been um as organized a fan campaign as that one and this was really before social media was a thing uh, it was really, really a, a phenomenon that, that this was able to be generated and motivated by really seriously organized fans. And ever since then, we've just seen more and more of those kinds of things happening. Of course, you have pro platforms like Kickstarter, but but similar, you know, the Snyder Cut happening is a bit like a, an old school grassroots thing. There wasn't really a Kickstarter that I know of. This happened because fans just kept generating interest and talking about it, and in some cases getting organized and uh, paying for ads and things like that to, to really draw attention to this movement. And so, anyway, it's it's kind of a historic thing. And so uh, I, I thought, and also a, a nerdly anticipated type of thing, and so I, I thought I would push back our usual Discord Hangout in case... Um, those of you that are at the $5 tier would like in particular to geek out with me about that pretty fresh after first watching it. And so we're currently looking for a time, actually, by the time this podcast goes up, we may have settled on that time. So, um, you can go to patreon.com slash spirit productions, where I will put a post up announcing when that hangout's going to be. And then you can just jump on at the $5 tier or upgrade. If you're at the $1 tier, you can jump up to $5 just for a month. And the, the the Patreon won't charge you until the beginning of next month, but you'll still get instant access to the benefits of being at the $5 tier. So uh, if that sounds fun and exciting to you, uh, it sounds like a lot of fun to me. Even if, you know, as I record this, I haven't seen it yet. Even if I'm really disappointed uh, by the by the whole thing, I think that there's just going to be so much to talk about just from a fan perspective about what maybe they'll do next, what this could lead to in the future. So 
Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I would invite you to join us for that, uh, even if you just jump on that $5 tier for a little bit. But uh, if you're not uh, involved in Patreon at all, then I want to tell you about the $1 tier. At the $1 tier, you get the special edition of Spirit Blade, which is the first part of our audio drama trilogy. It's pretty self-contained. There's maybe just little hints that something is going to happen at the end of that. But, I mean, you're not committing yourself to, you know, an interest in the whole trilogy unless you decide you really like uh, the experience listening to it. But the Legacy Edition, as you know, I've mentioned many times, is free for everyone over at spiritblade.com. But the special edition which uh, is, is the original concept of the, of the uh, experience and involves songs sung by the characters using kind of a, uh, an, electro, an, an electronic industrial style of music that felt fitting to the cyberpunk genre, uh, which is what that thing is. It's a mashup of cyberpunk and fantasy and supernatural and even some horror John Carpenter, the, John Carpenter's The Thing type stuff in there. Uh, but anyway, you get the special edition of that for free. You get the song bundle, which is like a separate uh, soundtrack for the project, including some alternate mixes of songs. You get that for free. You get the making of, taking you behind the scenes and what that was to to generate this thing, which when it released in um, 2006 was really groundbreaking in terms of what was being done in uh, entertainment for Christian geeks. And, and of course, the special edition and the legacy edition, those are remade versions from the ground up, which I, you know, released later. Uh, like some, let's see, 2006, 2010 was this, was the special edition. And then the legacy edition was in 2016. Um, so anyway, yeah, you get to all that at the $1 tier. You get Skyrim, The Rise of Eldorass, the complete Let's Roleplay series. That's 20 episodes, including a bonus episode. Uh, you get now the twice-monthly Shadow Hearts Chronicles series. You get years of my monthly Pater's Brain podcast episodes. Uh, you get the bonus monthly archived one-hour live stream where I'm chatting with patrons. Um, and a bunch of other miscellaneous exclusive content that just kind of comes along randomly. Uh, you know, it feels like pretty frequently. Um, anyway, for as little as a dollar a month, you can help make sure my efforts keep going and growing into the future. You can get yourself a ton of exclusive archived and ongoing content that's just for patrons. I really do try to load that $1 tier because I know that, uh, uh, that uh, it's, it's, these are challenging times to be in. But, uh, uh, but I figure for most people, you know, if you're, if you're eating pretty decently, then a dollar uh, every four weeks, a dollar every month, um, is uh, is doable. So uh, I hope that you will consider that. At 30 patrons, we're going to have a pizza with an asterisk party on Discord. Can't wait to find out what the crap that is. Um, and in the meantime, I want to say again, I'm so grateful. So grateful. It continues to be weird and humbling that uh, that's a number of you have, uh, have decided to just kind of like partner with me putting, you know, your money down. That's a big deal. No matter how much you're putting down, that's a big deal to me. Um, and it's, uh, I, I hate using the phrase humbling because that, that seems like something that people are just supposed to say, you know, what does that mean to, but, but I, but I've, I've gained an understanding of it. Um, that it's like, it's, it's weird. There's parts of it that are uncomfortable. It's, it's sobering. Um, as I think about the responsibility I have to use these funds well, um, to serve you guys. And so again, I want to say thank you to, uh, everyone that is supporting me as a Spirit Blade Insider, um, you guys, again, this month have made it possible for me to continue in this work. Thank you so much. Um, for more information, of course, again, you can visit patreon.com slash Productions. The truth will set you free. Truth is 
that which corresponds to fact or reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a self-defeating proposition. Now, lots of things are possible, but our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert, but the information is out there. You'd be amazed what you can learn if you spend some time in search of truth. The truth sets you free. Right now, I'm going to attempt to examine the Bible and dissect some of the churchy language we can really easily take for granted, uh, digging into the uh, the history and languages when I'm able to try and get at the heart of the text so we can hopefully see and apply at least some of what God has for us in these words today. Now, I'm not formally trained in Scripture. I'm just a guy using resources and a questioning mind to try and get at the truth. That's something that we can all do, so I hope that uh, you'll be doing that with me. We've been been going to the book of Philippians and have arrived now at chapter 2, just verse 19. <laughs> uh, I'll explain why just one verse this time in a second, but first let me read it in the ESV that says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Um, I had intended to cover a lot more than one verse this time, but one or two details here just jumped out at me. That, that made me want to dig in and explore them a bit. Um, so let me start by reminding us of the context. Leading up to this verse, Paul was calling his readers to live in humble servanthood in their uh, communities, in their communities of believers together. Servanthood for Christ. He expressed how their obedience to Christ would be a cause for him to celebrate on that promised day in the future when Christ will reward believers. And looking ahead to this, Paul was content and even rejoicing, even if he would have to sacrifice his life in the meantime, which seemed to be a, a fairly likely scenario. Then he told his readers that they should be glad and rejoice with him. As he's rejoicing, they should rejoice with him. We observed in looking at those verses that Paul's rejoicing seemed to be an outgrowth of his perspective, which was fixed on God's promises rather than on his immediate circumstances, which is still amazing to me to think about uh, how, uh, what kind of life of discipline he would have had to been on to develop that. Even with what he had experienced, what he had seen, uh, there would still, I would, I think, need to be a, a, a lot of discipline to, to keep his mind focused on the promises that Christ gave for the future rather than the immediate circumstances that Paul was in, which were really hard, uh, much harder than, than most of us will have to deal with. Um, so Paul was encouraging his readers to join him in having that, that perspective of, of the future promises of Christ and, and its resulting immovable joy that he seemed to experience. With that as our context and our lead up, let's look at verse 19 again. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Uh, it is so easy for me to overlook phrases like in the Lord and in Christ when they appear throughout Paul's writing. Uh, it, it, but it jumped out at me this time and I just decided, you know what, I think I need to, to just sit and marinate and really think about his choice to use that phrase here and in other places where Paul uses it throughout his writing. It's one of those churchy sounding phrases that we can easily mistake for flowery filler. 
but I'm struck by how valuable it would likely be for me to stop and deeply contemplate this phrase every time it appears. As we just mentioned, Paul's entire perspective was within uh, the context of Christ's universe-altering redemptive work. His view of everyday realities was being shaped and colored by the context of Christ and in light of Christ and what Christ had done because of Christ. This was a man who not only considered the core gospel message, you know, which is in itself very simple, very basic, but it has these, this, these ramifications, this ripple effect into every area of life, into every aspect of reality that, that we can contemplate. Um, and, and Paul clearly seemed to be a guy who spent time thinking about those ramifications, deeply considering the effect of Christ's work on every part of his life, the, the minute details of his life. And, and again, that outward rippling effect on everything we do and think about as humans. So as he hoped to send Timothy to his reader soon, that hope was in light of Christ. The specific aspect of Christ and his work isn't clear. He doesn't get that into that in detail, but I think it's worthwhile to speculate because doing that, trying to at least speculate on maybe the specific thing, uh, the specific aspect of Christ and his work that, that Paul had in mind, that's a process that I think can help us see the potential for Christ to be the influencing reality in all of our thoughts and desires as well, in all the minute details of our lives. So, for example, again, that phrase was, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So uh, we could look at that and say, well, was, was he anticipating what Christ might do for the Philippians through Timothy? Was he anticipating how Christ might enable the logistics that would make that trip possible, would make sending Timothy possible? Or was he thinking further ahead, uh, as he does in the second half of the verse, anticipating how Christ would use Timothy's trip to bring back encouraging updates about the Philippian Christians that Paul loved so much and that would encourage him so much to hear? Um, Paul's words are never just religious poetic noise, but are each intentionally orchestrated by the Holy Spirit for our benefit. And I'm reminded at how much I need and want to grow in my ability to bring Christ into every thought so that my entire perspective on various details of my day-to-day -day life can have this undercurrent of stable joy and stable hope that's just immune to my ever-changing circumstances. Coming back to verse 19 again, <clears throat> it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Um, that word for cheers also, cheered is also translated encouraged. Uh, Paul is this amazing resource for the Philippians and so many other Christians in his day. Uh, he must have seemed, as I think about it, you know, when we, when we talked about just the perspective that Paul is able to maintain despite his circumstances. Sometimes reading Paul or the psalmists for that matter, I've commented on this before, can just feel like reading an alien. It's like, how do they get to the mental space where this is how they feel and think? It just seems so different from the way I naturally think. And so I wouldn't be surprised if the, 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 the people that he taught and interacted with, whether in person or through his letters, just thought he was superhuman at times. Um, 
I think it's valuable to notice that he was able to be encouraged by news from those he was serving and teaching. Uh, what specific kind of news would encourage him is not mentioned, but I can speculate about, about at least two things that would encourage him in getting news back from the from the Philippian Christians. One, just hearing from the Philippians at all, uh, being reminded that they have not forgotten him and that they care about him as he's suffering. When you love someone as Paul clearly does these Christians, it is incredibly encouraging and recharging to have that love reciprocated. Uh, and secondly, news that would indicate or demonstrate their growing maturity in Christ, I think would be of great encouragement to Paul. Uh, this seems to me actually to be especially likely what Paul had in mind as their obedience and spiritual growth were the chief reason Paul was writing to them and teaching them. Uh, it, it's the context leading up to these verses. Um, and from my own personal experience as someone who is wired to teach, it's almost like an electrical charge when someone tells me that they had a sort of aha moment after hearing or watching some teaching content that I've produced. Or if someone tells me that God orchestrated something I said in order to meet them right where they were at. Um, that's, that, that's kind of exhilarating um, and certainly is fuel to continue in whatever I was doing that, that God was able to use to bring about that effect. Uh, whatever the case was here for Paul, I think we would all be doing well if we uh, just take note of the capacity that these Philippians had to encourage Paul um, in a very, through, through a very simple response of theirs in, in some form, um, to realize that. And then I think we would do well to get in touch with our pastors or others who've provided some spiritual example or teaching that impacted us uh, and let them know how we were affected uh, or, or what God seems to be doing as a result of something they, they said or did. Our teachers are not superhuman. Um, we may admire them for their faith and their maturity in Christ. They are not without need of encouragement. Um, and we have the ability to be a source of life and encouragement to them when they are nearly spent or burned out. Uh, okay, so what's in all this maybe specifically for geeks? Well, Hopefully, you've already picked up on some of what I think is here for us. Uh, our perspectives, though, to just get more specific, tend to be so focused on the here and now, on momentary pleasures of entertainment. I, I just want to state, I guess, uh, in putting these notes together and sharing them with you, my desire and intention to try and mentally camp out on phrases like, in the Lord or in Christ, to camp out on those phrases in the coming weeks. And I, I guess I just want to invite you to do that with me uh, because I think there is reward and freedom waiting for us as we pursue that perspective. Um, what could that look like? You know, let me, let me give uh, just one example of something that I was thinking about in my quiet time this morning and, and uh, aiming to have the context of Christ shape my perspective about this thing that I was praying through and thinking about. Uh, it's been a long week of spending much more time with people than usual for me, which is draining to me as an introvert. Um, but as I look at tonight and what's coming up tonight, I, I, well, first, I would really like to just be alone in my office uh, playing games after work. I mean, that's the kind of, you know, week it's been. I'm ready for that kind of night for sure. Uh, but I also know that tonight I have a special opportunity to relationally invest in some people that could be very life-giving for them. 
Specifically, I think about the freedom Christ's sacrifice has given me to, uh, to live with love as my law instead of these man-made priorities uh, that can so easily distract and enslave us. Uh, and I know the people I could spend time with tonight, if I choose to, uh, have gotten caught up in some man-made concerns and priorities that sort of enslave them to being overly concerned about what others think of them. Um, if, if I choose to spend time with them tonight, there is a chance that God would open a window in conversation for me to be a spotlight, either intentionally in a moment I'm aware of or unintentionally, just from something they pick up on. Um, but, but in some way, there's potential for me to be a spotlight on the freedom that Christ gives us. Uh, and that's something I know that they could benefit from. Um, and so as I spend time contemplating my freedom in Christ and how they could benefit from more freedom in Christ, I begin to actually genuinely hope in Christ to be able to reflect something useful of Christ to them tonight. It's actually been shifting my focus. I mean, not, I'm not gung-ho about it yet, but it's been shifting my, my focus and my desires so that actually I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'll be okay. I'll be okay if I invest in these people tonight um, because that would just be a wonderful thing to be able to be used in that way to help them get that much closer to experiencing that much more freedom um, that we can have in Christ uh, because of what he's done for us. And, and that example, that's just one of countless instances in life that the work of Christ has some form of impact on. Like I said before, the gospel message is very, very simple. But when we think about the effects of what Christ did on every area of life, um, it, it changes the way we see everything and the way we feel about things. Um, so anyway, that's, that's, I guess, the first thing that could be of value to us as, as, uh, as geeks, um, to, uh, to just experience some more of that freedom, more of that perspective, uh, instead of getting so focused on, um, on the here and now and allowing our state, our emotional state, uh, our sense of joy and contentment to be based so much on our circumstances, but instead to be based on the perspective that we can find because of what Christ has done and all the ramifications of that. It's just a matter of spending time thinking about it. Like, okay, how does, how does Christ's work affect this area of my life? How, um, and how, as a result, should I really recognize that this situation is not how I naturally feel? about it. Um, the second thing I see for us geeks in this verse uh, has to do with how we can bless those who teach or equip us spiritually. As geeks, we tend to be in our own heads so much and with like this laser focus on our own little world and our own little story, which seems really big to us. Um, and, and, and I don't want to, to belittle the sense of importance that our lives have to God in talking about our little story, our little lives, you know, because God is deeply interested and deeply cares about all the minute details of our lives. We are his precious children, you know, but we can inflate uh, and prioritize our own lives in a way that with the limited time we have compared to God, who is not limited, but with the limited time we have, we give way too much focus and concentration and time to thinking about our, our own world, our own stories, you know? Um, and so 
given that um, that reality in us, I think we do take for granted often or even feel entitled to those who invest so much to teach and encourage us. So I just want to remind myself and anyone listening to say something the next time we're uh, encouraged, uh, equipped, or inspired by another believer. Um, shoot them an email, catch them on the way out of church, send them a text, something. Um, and I know some of you guys have such warm and encouraging hearts toward me. I want to uh, thank you if your impulse is to send something to me, but, but um, please think of someone else first and send something to them first. Um, because it really doesn't take much for us to be uh, a, a wonderful source of life to those who are feeding into our lives. Incoming transmission. This week, well, because it's so early in the week, um, I really haven't gotten any new messages to share from, uh, like, via email or really YouTube comments that are, you know, kind of worth sharing. Uh, I really appreciate all the YouTube comments that I've, I've gotten so far this week, but, you know, a lot of them are short, just brief words of encouragement and thanks and stuff like that, which is uh, continues to be really encouraging for me. Even l little simple messages that you guys drop like that uh, are really appreciated by me. Um, let's see here. So I, I decided, as I have once before already, that on weeks like this, where things are a little bit dry uh, in terms of interesting comments that will generate some blabbing from me, that I will dip into the plus three page of many topics. This is a document I created to help me come up with stuff to say during dry spots of live streams. But for the last, I don't know, year or two, there there haven't been any. Uh, the, the live streams that I do have been so well attended uh, that there's almost constantly being things generated in the chat that I can react to. And it's a great time anytime we do one of those. I'm looking forward to the next one, which I think will be in May. More on that as we get closer. But uh, I believe this was... See, it started out, the lore of the of the plus three page of many topics, topics started out as the plus two page of many topics, which eventually lost all of its magic charges and so became useless and just had to be thrown away. Um, and uh, I, I... But I stumbled upon in my dungeon delving a plus three page of many topics and this is made up of topics that uh well a lot of them in the plus three page came from patrons um about well i think it was just before extra life 2019 um that i because the year prior to that there'd been a complete self-destruct of the stream and I was, like, not prepared for that and struggling to find things to talk about. And so I didn't want to be in case the, the stream self-destructed and I had to just continue offline recording myself the rest of the, the marathon. I wanted to have stuff that I could draw from to talk about. And so uh, that's why the plus three page of many topics was generated. Um, and I specifically put a call out to patrons like a week before. And I was like, hey, guys, can you just give me questions and things to talk about, stuff to react to in case the stream goes to crap again? And I'm so grateful that the last two years there have not been uh, any really significant problems that have shut down the stream like that. Maybe just once very briefly, but uh, it's just uh, I'm very grateful for how that uh, that and, and the shorter streams as well have been have been blessed in that way. So uh, but patrons so faithfully 
shared their comments and questions for me to react to. And I didn't want, I don't want them to be lost. Also, some of these topics get put on the page because of people donating uh, $5 or more to my extra life efforts. They get to ask me a question to put on my plus three page. And so I, I got to make sure that these things at some point get responded to. So uh, I rolled before recording and I got a 17, which plus three brings us to 20. And question number 20 was written by Francisco Ruiz, a patron over at patreon.com slash Productions and co-host of the Retro Rewind podcast, which I mention uh, pretty frequently on the show. Um, he writes, I think you were on a podcast at some point that discussed Last Action Hero. And he puts a winky, winking smiley face after that. And based on the pre- premise of that movie... What actor slash movie character would you love to become the sidekick of in their next film? For those who haven't seen Last Action Hero, this is a uh, an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Uh, I don't think it did very well in the box office, but I really enjoyed it. And I really thought the premise was cool uh, where this kid, um, like a preteen or early teens kid, uh, that's a big fan of this this action hero franchise and this st- who, who is starring Arnold Schwarzenegger discovers this magic ticket that will transport him into the world of that movie. And so he's going on this adventure with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it's in that context, he's not with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's with this character who in that world is a real character and he's in the movie world. Um, it's a, I, I think is a charming little movie. Um, Anyway, the, uh, he, he goes on to say the actor can be dead and the next film can be an actual film or just one you postulate. And uh, I believe that podcast that I was on was the Retro Rewind podcast. And it was number 118. If you guys are curious, I had a great time, as I always do anytime I'm a guest over on the Retro Rewind podcast, uh, talking with the guys about movies that we usually land in different places on. I I'm, I'm don't know that we've had a unanimous uh, decision as to because it's we always give a rating of whether it's a classic nostalgic or tragic tragic um so uh i came down in a different place if i remember correctly with uh, the 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 other guys on the show that episode i will let you listen to the episode to see where we each came down but that's a uh, Retro Rewind Podcast, episode 118, where we talk about Last Action Hero. Um, Okay, so to answer your question, Francisco, and thank you so much, and I'm so sorry that it's taken me this long to get to it. This magic ticket scenario, there's there's not a good one for me. Uh, I die in all the scenarios. I like serious geek movies the most. And or, or serious geek franchises the most, as opposed to things that tend to be funny and light. And if I were transported into that world, any of those worlds, I'm not funny enough to be comic relief. Um, yeah, I don't think I, yeah, I don't think I could pull that off. And the comic relief is usually going to live. They're, they're going to live because they're this likable, funny little character. You don't kill the comic relief. It's very rare. But I'm not funny enough to, I think, be categorized as comic relief in a movie world or a TV world. Unless I'm tagging along just panicked and terrified about everything, which I would be, but I don't know if that would translate as funny or if it would, or if the way I come across would bring a, a, a sobering seriousness to the whole thing. I don't know. I don't know. I could probably quote unquote enjoy surviving in a Green Lantern movie 
or or a Farscape movie or a new Farscape series that way. Um, but gosh, uh, and, and if it was the Ryan Reynolds world, I think the tone is light enough there that I would have a good chance of surviving. But I mean, I'd rather be in a more serious Green Lantern world. Um, but playing it safe, ironically, if I tried to play it safe while being in one of those worlds, I, I would likely die. I think that I would be probably the likable, supportive, nice guy. I think that's how I would come across. I'm not saying that's who I am in life. I think that's probably how I would come across to people. The likable, supportive, nice guy. But they die for tragic, dramatic effect. <laughs> so this is not going to go well for me, no matter what. Um, I think, I mean, I really would prefer to be in the world of Farscape. Um, and just hope that I land as a guest star in one of the funny episodes. But if I, if, if it's an episode with Scorpius, I'm dead, I'm dead. And who would I be in that world? Who would I, who would I fit in? I mean, I guess I would, I would technically not fit in with the lore cause that's not the premise of the magic ticket scenario. I would be an outsider from another world, from the meta world. Um, but I guess I would, you know, who would the other characters think I was? Because they wouldn't have a concept of the meta world. I could, I, my hair color is somewhat similar to Ben Browder's. It's a kind of a dishwater blonde or like a light brown. And so maybe I could be, uh, and he's about um, 10 years older than me. So I couldn't be his son. Um, I couldn't be, his brother wouldn't really work. Oh, crap. I'd be like a cousin. I'd be a cousin. I would totally die. The cousin is going to die. My gosh, I think it was even the cousin that died in uh, in um, Last Action Hero, or second cousin or something like that. They were running out of valuable people to kill <laughs> to the protagonist. Um, this, yeah, it's not going to go well. So my preference would be Farscape and hope to land on a on an episode where I, that that won't kill me. But that's probably not going to happen. I'd be the likable but not very funny um, cousin of John Crichton who would die so that John Crichton has something dramatic to react to. There's crap. There's always crap happening to John Crichton. So I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Um, I guess for the sake of my own survival, I'd go with um, entering into the Green Lantern, the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern world. Because then at least, I mean, I, I would not become a Green Lantern in that scenario. I don't see why I would unless like, Hal has done rarely in the comics. He gave me, he constructed with his ring a temporary ring that I could use. So at least there'd be a shot of me being able to use a Green Lantern ring. Um, it'd be a remote shot. But in all likelihood, I wouldn't get to use the ring. But I'd get to see the ring used. And even though, you know, presumably it would still look like CG, that would be cool. Hey, that would be cool. Uh, I don't care if it looks fake, if it's actually right there in front of me in physical reality. We'll just say, yeah, it's, it's a light construct. Of course, it's going to look, you know, not like normal things look. Um, so, geez, Louise, this is a horrible nightmare scenario, Francisco. I don't, I don't want anything to do with this, but thank you for submitting that question. Feedback, feedback, guys. Give me your thoughts. Strike up some chat on our forums at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Leave a comment at YouTube.com slash ChristianGeekCentral or Patreon.com slash Productions. You type it. I read it. Might even share it on the show, unless you tell me not to or want to be anonymous. That's fine, too. You can also email me a text or audio message at P-A-E-T-E-R at SpiritBlade.com. I would love to hear from you anytime and 
in most any way. My gosh! My gosh! I would like to hear from you anytime and most anyway. So, uh, yeah, get in touch if you would like to. And as a reminder, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you do that if I'm able. Online resources and communities are good supplements, but by their very nature, they cannot speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. Nothing like it. Um, we're looking forward to having what we call the families, which sounds a little bit like a mafia or something, (laughs) but, uh, the families are coming over this Friday night and, uh, we missed a month last month. We, we'd been on a good monthly cadence and we missed last month. And so, and we're feeling it. Um, it is life giving, um, and, uh, and life receiving, to be in that group of people, to just share a meal and hang out and talk about life um, and talk about implicitly how we can be praying for each other. And and then based on that regular touch point on a regular basis, we uh, are now more often, you know, texting each other, doing group texts now and then just saying, hey, I could use some prayer for this that's going on. And so to see that growing and developing um, is really neat. And, uh, it's, I, I feel a part of the church in the best way possible, um, more from those times with them than, than many experiences I have on a Sunday morning. Uh, my Sunday morning experiences typically are more about me interacting with the Holy Spirit as he is speaking through the songs that we sing, the times of prayer during the service, the, the teaching, um, I struggle to really uh, feel loved and to give love in the Sunday morning experience because you're just kind of, you come in, you sit down, especially now where like we're wearing masks on the way in. And I know some churches, uh, they're having people wear masks the entire time in our church. Uh, we're able to space out enough that we wear masks while we come in. And then, uh, and then, uh, we, we, once we sit down, we can take the masks off, but you know, even more so now, but I felt this early. I felt this before COVID as a geek. You just, I'm not into the chit chat. I, I can't, that's really, I can do it, but it, it's a, it's like a, it draws on my fuel reserves <laughs> to figure out, okay, let's talk about something substanceless that this person would be interested in talking about. Um, is this interaction done? What are the social cues? Am I picking up on the, so- yes, this interaction is coming to a close. All right, now we can move on. And that is not how we are meant to experience life in the local church. But those Sunday morning meetings can really be the the most sensible and easiest starting point for developing connections that happen at other times of the week, at other times of the month. Um, And so that's why I say this every week, that I would love to help you connect to a local church if uh, you are not connected right now. Uh, and as a reminder, you know, on this podcast, um, I, I try to be to be ultimately uh, Bible-centered. I mean, I'm not talking Bible, Bible, Bible all the time, you know, but, uh, but, but I aim to allow Scripture to shape my life. That's why we do the Bible study every week. 
Um, and so if we want to be people of the word and say that we're people of the word, it's important to realize now, as I get back to what I say every week, that the context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, compassionate, Bible-oriented church, would love to do that. Email me, please, P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com, and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. And now it's time for my Geek Week highlights of the geeky stuff that I have been up to this week. Um, I have been continuing to get into Kingdoms of Amalur re-reckoning, really enjoying myself with that. More specifically, I am playing now the second DLC, which I never played before, because on the 360 I never bought the DLC. Excuse me, fighting off burps and losing the battle. And uh, this one was The Legend of Dead Kel, which I played through. Uh, there's still in both of the DLCs, you know, they, they give you access to these other maps in the world, these other big areas. And so there are still a bunch of side quests and stuff, dungeons and stuff that I can do in each of those areas. What I've been doing is just because I haven't known when to expect the the, the next expansion, I've been trying to beeline my way through the main story of the, 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 the main game. And when I started to get close to that and realized, ooh, I think I'm a little underleveled, I was like, okay, well, let's do the main story stuff in these two expansions, and then we'll come back and, and finish off. And, and so I did that with both uh, The Teeth of Naros and now The Legend of Dead Cal. And in, I enjoyed The Legend of Dead Cal. It's, it's uh, themed around pirates and an island that you go to. And I'm not normally a fan of pirates, especially when there was just a big pirate craze. I'm just like, ugh. I am over this. Everyone's into pirates. It, that lasted for like, I don't know, three to five years, I feel like. Part of it was Pirates of the Caribbean, but I was just like, my gosh. Board games, video games, we're all going piratey. But but I liked this. Uh, it wasn't so piratey themed that I was pirates in my face all the time. But the, the main antagonist is a, is a it's kind of like this undead or immortal pirate. And he had a cool thing going on, like half of his body is made of like gnarled intertwining vines, bark brown, barky type vines. I don't know. He's got some weird affliction going on as part of his immortality. So he wasn't just a standard peg leg, you know, eye patch pirate. I think he had those things going on too. But uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. And I think I'm starting to see some of the improvements that were made to the game that I I could that I couldn't verify experientially when I reviewed the game because now I'm into what is essentially the post game because I, I've decided after finishing the DLCs that even though maybe I'm I'm high enough level now to take on the final boss that I'm going to hold off I feel like I can do that any time now let's leave that climax as one of the last things that I do with this game before playing the new expansion that comes out later this year. Um, which just recently the the game came to the Nintendo Switch. So if you are interested in playing this game and you have a Switch, I, I highly recommend at least checking out reviews uh, in light of the fact that now it's accessible to you uh, there. And all they said with that press release is that the, the Fate Sworn DLC expansion is coming later this year. So I'm like, ah, crap. That sounds more like a fall-type release, which I'm a little bit bummed about. But I did just find out that Dungeons & Dragons uh, Dark Alliance, Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance, which is a spiritual successor to the Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance Diablo-style games from the PS2 era, uh, that's coming in June. So we'll see. 
um, that that could scratch my this type of game itch in the meantime. Back to it though. Um, Post game, the 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 one of the changes that they made was in how loot is leveled, so that even late in the game you can be getting loot that is going to be worthwhile to your level. There was some things that had to do with how areas loaded and and like how the game saved data about those areas when you first encountered them. There was level scaling to a degree, I think, in the in the original game, but not near enough that that in the post game you would still be finding interesting stuff. There comes a point where it's like, okay, now you're just going to be collecting loot for the resale value. And then you're going to, if you want something interesting, you're going to have to craft it yourself, which kind of commits you to the blacksmithing path. And if you're not interested in that, then that, that kind of takes almost all of your interest away from, from looting. Uh, so they seem to have fixed that because even though I'm certainly running into a bunch of stuff that is not useful to me, I am, um, I want to say at least once per game session, and my sessions are about two hours long usually, at least once or twice per game session, I run into something that I'm like, oh, this is worth replacing what I'm currently using. Um, and so, yes, it it slows down significantly this late in the game, but the fact that there's still things there and that I can still, uh, like, I'm I'm doing other things that money is valuable for. So, I mean, the, the that aspect of looting is still cool. And, and there's enough things that are good enough that they give me pause. And even that is an experience in itself to just, like, get something like, oh, well, let me at least compare this. And they make it really easy to compare the loot. That's something that I uh, mentioned in my review of the game as well. Uh, really quick and easy to compare and then equip if you, you know, if you want. I love that in these types of games. So uh, I, I'm appreciating what I think I'm seeing in the rebalancing of loot for the late slash post game right now and continuing to just have a great time with it. Um, I continued playing Mage Knight the board game. If you watch the video that I put up this week, uh, I mentioned in there the possibility of continuing at some point in the future the game that I started during that live stream because I didn't finish the game and there wasn't time I had to move on to another game. Um, and that's, if I do that, I'll have to watch the video and kind of recreate where I left off there because I, I couldn't help myself. I just had to continue with uh, that game, you know, where I left off in the live stream and, uh, have had it set out on a table in my office for, you know, the, the last couple of weeks since doing the live stream. And well, for a little while it was slid under the bed. Uh, and you can watch the video for kind of how I go about saving quote unquote, multiple board games at once so that I can basically eliminate setup and teardown. Um, so that's hopefully a valuable part of that video for those uh, that have run into that issue with their board gaming hobby. Um, but yeah, ha- had a good time with that. Still breaking rules right and left and letting Elder Ass do whatever the crap he wants. Well, not whatever the crap he wants. I do have limitations, but you know, I let him have when it's time to upgrade, I let him choose skills from all the available mage knights, not just one particular class and, having a good time with that. I, um, you know, when I did my list of top uh, five solo board games, I think I might've put Mage Knight as number one. I can't remember. It was, it was a real close call between that and Pathfinder Adventure card game. I think I would go, go now with saying Pathfinder Adventure card game is my number one, even if at the time I did say Mage Knight, which I said at the time, I was like, you ask me next week, my answer is going to be different. Well, if I said Mage Knight then, which I can't remember now, then it is different now because uh, there is just enough abstract thinkiness 
as as wonderfully as they have attached theme to all the mechanics in that game, there's still just enough abstract puzzle solving that I'm not always in the mood for that kind of game. And so I did get to a point where like, okay, now I kind of want to play Pathfinder Adventure Card Game. So I slid that one under my bed, took Pathfinder from out under my bed, and put that out on my table. And so now that is set up, and I'm continuing where I left off in the live stream, which that live stream itself was picking up a game I had already started in uh, The Mummy's Mask. And having a real good time with that. Uh, I, I think I just like the, the, the dice-chucking aspect. There's just far less of that in Mage Knight. And there's something about that rush of like, what's going to happen? Shooka, 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 kapla. And then you look at the... Uh, is that? Do you think those would be the words that you would see if there was a comic book about a guy playing board games? Shooka, shooka, shooka. I think I got that from Knights of the Dinner Table. Kapla, I just came up with that. Um, I think that sounds pretty good for you know, a, a handful of dice kind of hitting in, in a hard surface. I don't know. You guys can, can give me feedback on that. Uh, but yeah, that that's... And it still has some of that thinkiness of like, how can I use all my resources? And I think even more than Mage Knight, Pathfinder just does an awesome job of marrying mechanics to theme. Uh, my gosh. It's just really great. Really, really love what they do with that game. Um, I did play... Part of a quest, it ended up being a pretty short part of uh, Hero Quest with my son Titus. We finished up, quote-unquote, quest one of Against the Ogre Horde. This is one of those European expansions that Milton Bradley, uh, long after it was out of print, decided to put up in PDF form for people to just freely download. I don't know if that's still available, but it was a number of years ago. So uh, we have to use other miniatures because, you know, we can't... Um, I mean, you can print out the PDFs they provide of the of the tiles, but... Uh, yeah, other than that, like figures and stuff, we, we just make it work. Um, and I've got enough geeky board game stuff and tiles and whatnot from other games that, uh, that it, it still looks pretty good. Um, but there's the, oh my gosh, I think there was a misprint in that quest. There is a, a really poorly placed falling block trap that's right inside of a door when you step into a room. And as you know, if you've played Hero Quest before, you can't search for traps in a room until you're in the room. So if there is a trap that's right inside that doorway, you have no choice if you're going to go into that room but to spring the trap. And falling block traps, unlike other traps, um, make it impossible after this trap is sprung to pass over that space again. And so what this meant was it was going to permanently block the exit point for the game. So only one, um, only one hero is going to be able to exit that game alive unless you still have an elf that has not cast his pass-through rock spell. Then you can get two heroes out of that quest alive. But two, your other two are going to die. They're, you're going to lose all their equipment um, unless, you are, unless you somehow know about that trap. In well, I guess, I guess once you have sprung it, if you have pass-through rock still... Then you could say, okay, we're giving all our crap to the elf. Then he's going to cast, pass rock, pass through rock on himself and go through. And then you still have to get through a room that has a gargoyle in it and like five goblins. Goblins are weak, but that gargoyle is no joke. And then in the next room, I think there's one orc and one femur. So these are rooms that like, my gosh, for just one or two heroes to get through, all you have to do at that point is get through them. So if you can clear a path and get through the exit door that's a little further out then you can make it through but it just seems like it seems like a mistake it seems like a mistake like what they actually meant to do was put it in front of the other door that's inside that room um because it's a linear path the, you're only going to come in through that first door 
that in the map has the trap by it. Uh, your, the, the other door leads you on your linear path out of the dungeon. So I have to think that, uh, that that's a mistake. But we got to that point and we realized what had happened. And I was even exploring that room before taking on the objective that's needed to finish the quest. Because the, the quest objective is to clear the central chamber of monsters for at least one full round of, of every character's turn. And I, I was saving that. I was doing a clean sweep of the dungeon in my mind before doing that. And, uh, and then I ran into this. And the, the, the option when you see that falling block trap is to... It's sprung. You take damage uh, usually... And then you decide, the hero that sprung the trap, you decide what square you're going to move to and just know that you can't move back into that square and no one can. So if you move forward into the room, which I did, because I was like, well, I should be able to come around, find my way back around some other way. It's the barbarian. You know, he's got plenty of potions. I think I can handle this. But once I went through there, my son alerted me that I have now made the game unwinnable because... The all my other I'd already cast pass through rock earlier, which was weird because I almost never cast that spell. Uh, but I cast it earlier in the quest, and we hadn't finished the the main objective that we need to finish in order to complete the quest. And the barbarian was uh, stuck on the other side of this door, so it, it was lame. It was. We both agreed that it must be a mistake on the part of the quest, but resolved to just end the quest there and we'll just skip as if we had won it to the next quest i'm not getting any treasure that i would have gotten from going into that central chamber and doing what i was supposed to do there so that's kind of the trade-off you know it's like okay i didn't earn that treasure so i'm not going to get that treasure but um neither are we going to like i'm not going to replay this whole quest uh so we just decided to end it there i think titus is starting to lose interest in hero quest um he has asked me to play it um, before, like in in the last month, he's brought it up. But this last time, I was the one that brought it up, and he seemed kind of content to like, um, you know, like just quit uh, with that quest. And and I, I sense it in him. I sense kind of like his boredom a little bit. And he's even verbalized at one point saying that he's discovering that Zar playing Zargon is a little bit boring sometimes. He likes revealing stuff, but I think that only gets him so far. So. We're at a point now where part of me is like, do I want to offer him first edition descent instead? Um, first, is he ready for that? Uh, just as far as the rules go, I think he might be. Um, at least to play as the heroes, if not as the the bad guy, as the overlord. But I, I also think to myself, my gosh, I've never played through these hero quest quests before. Uh, I kind of want to finish them, but. I don't know. Maybe I'll see. Here's here's what I'll do, maybe. Maybe I'll see if he wants to play with some of my house rules. Not all of them. I unloaded, like, all of my house rules that I'm currently experimenting with during the tabletop solo uh, solo tabletop game fest, which in the coming weeks you'll see me playing with those rules solo. Um, but it, it, it's way too complex and cumbersome for him, I think, to keep track of. And it's also experimental, and so I, I don't know how balanced they are. But there's some of those rules that I think we could play with that would make his turns a lot more interesting, that would keep us from doing the typical bottleneck at the door strategy. Um, so maybe I'll offer those to him before I offer to have us just be done with HeroQuest and move on to a different game. Um, yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. I think that's my resolution. Um, I've also been rewatching Titans season one. I watched one and a half episodes, maybe just kind of slowly making my way through that. And I like it. I, I was reminded again, I do like this, this series and I've only seen, I have the first two seasons, got them both for Christmas, but I only, um, I've only seen the first episode of season two. And so I'm about halfway now through season one and really, uh, really enjoying it. Just the the serious dark nature of it, yeah, you didn't see that one coming, did you <laughs> but yeah the the serious dark nature of it um I am not completely sold on the performance of the actress that plays Raven. I haven't been from the beginning um I think she is required to do some things, especially early on, that are deeply emotional, where she's deeply traumatized and stuff, and i I'm just not feeling those parts of her performance, but I'm still finding. Something about her performance endearing. There, there's something that I I like about her. I like that she's part of the show. Maybe it's the writing combined with the other elements that I am connecting with in her performance. I don't know, but um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying what they're going for. I, I it's not it doesn't lean into character drama as much as I would have it if I could have all of my druthers. Uh, if anybody wants to send, and I know I've asked this a few times before, if anybody wants to send in a definition of druthers, I'm too lazy to look it up, but I would really like to know what a druther is. Um, but if I could have all of mine, then, uh, then yeah, they would lean into some of those quieter character moments, character drama, like they are doing with Superman and Lois. I watched, uh, the, I got caught up with last week's episode, not the one that is airing this week, but the, the one that aired last week. And... Oh, I'm really enjoying this show a lot. In this episode, Jonathan, the 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 brother that is developing some powers of some kind, um, decides he's going to try out for the football team, and he does it for social reasons, not because he loves football, but uh, because of just some social stuff going on in his life. It's kind of interesting. I'll let you kind of discover that if you decide to watch it. Um, and it's it's great because it's it's the geek fan. He's not into he's into video games. He's of the two brothers. He's the geek. He's the shy, quiet geek. He's got you know some disorder type stuff. Um, he is socially awkward. Um, he is the geek. He's you and me, as we were in high school, or as we might have thought in some ways of ourselves in high school. And he does not really. Um, they don't get into this, but he he doesn't like football. He has no interest in football. And you can tell that, like, he maybe knows the basic rules. I, I think it would be fun if they explored the fact that, like, maybe he doesn't even know the rules of football. He's just, he can just take the ball and get it from A to B, you know? <laughs> I think it'd be cool if they kind of leaned into that. But there's there's no evidence of that. There There was a moment where he was, like, talking to the coach as if the coach was a drill sergeant because he's just not familiar with that. Inter- that type of interaction at all, you know? Um, and so it was great. It's very, very charming and endearing and a little bit of a geek fantasy. Um, my gosh, there's a, there's a, a scene where Clark is on the farm and what they kind of explore as he shares with Jonathan, as Jonathan is developing some powers too, he's sharing with Jonathan how he hears basically everything. Um, maybe in the whole world, they, they don't get into that much detail, but like, for, for hundreds of miles around, at least, he hears everything, and he's had to learn over time how to to filter certain things out and tune into certain things. And of course, this makes perfect sense. But he's he's at any time able to tune in on what's going on with his boys. 
uh, as a dad, of course, of course you would be tuned into that, you know? Uh, and, and at any moment, if you could tune into what was going on with your boys and he is listening in as one of his, as one of his boys is being bullied at school. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, that's, there's, there's not really quite that experience unless for some reason you work at school, the the school your kids are at, you're not going to be in that type of scenario. I think it parallels some emotional things that we would feel as parents about just being aware, hearing from your son or, or daughter when they come home from school, that they're being bullied at school, but he is actually hearing it. He's hearing it live play out and He's not there to do anything. And he knows that he really shouldn't go there and do anything. And so he's just watching it play out. And the actor playing Clark doesn't, and maybe it's for character reasons too, doesn't really lean into the emotion of that moment like I think I would experience. I'm not, it's not that I'm necessarily expecting him to tear up in that moment. I started tearing up in that moment. Um, and, uh, but, but for, for, him to, for him to feel the struggle... I, I, I would like for him to feel the struggle a little more. You definitely sensed that he was struggling. It was like, oh my gosh. You know, that's why it teared me up because I was like putting myself in his shoes. So there's just some great stuff that's generated by this show. Um, really gave me the feels. Uh, Would have liked uh, the actor to struggle a little bit more there. I'm going to say, I'm going to pronounce his last name Hetchler. That's what's holding me off from saying his name. It's Tyler Hetchler, H-O-E-C-H-L-E-R. I'm just going to say, so I can say this once, and then I'm not going to say it again until somebody actually corrects me. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm too lazy to look it up. But if anybody wants to correct me, that definitely knows. I don't want just your opinion on how you think it's pronounced, because you have a neighbor with the same last name or whatever. Find it online. Find something definitive, and then report to me, and I will be grateful and thank you for that. But until then, I'm going to call it Hetchler. Heckler, Hetchler. Let's go with Hetchler. Uh, anyway, but I love his what he's doing with Clark Kent. He his boys are getting to see now him playing quote unquote Clark Kent in for the benefit of others and leaning into some of that Christopher Reeve vibe a little bit. Not not so much like the 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 nerdy insecure vibe. There's a bit of that, but more just like the completely naive, always smiling, almost simpleton kind of like just this really nice guy that you know is so nice and nerdy and oblivious to how he's coming across that he's just endearing, you know. And I love him playing that part, especially since I feel like that is part of who he is. He's just bringing it out a little bit. Um, but that he's not lying. I don't feel like Clark is lying when he presents himself that way. I feel like he is just playing up a part of who he is, um, that he is comfortable with and he, you know, and, and that he, yeah. Anyway, um, I am also noticing though, I think as I thought I was noticing when I first watched the pilot, I think his suit is more padded than I want it to be. I think he's definitely wearing some, he's got some padding as part of the Superman suit. Um, and I think when I see him doing certain things as Superman, it just becomes more obvious to me. And so I, 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 man, I, I hate to say this because it just sounds so insensitive, but I would like either him to bulk up, which I, I apologize. That sounds insensitive, but they do pay these actors like, you know, at least six figures uh, a year and probably millions of dollars is what he's getting. And so I kind of feel like when you're getting paid more than doctors, uh, <laughs> then, 
you know, um, you should be willing to, to just go the distance, baby. Hire a trainer, do whatever you got to do, uh, and bulk up. And, uh, and so I, I would like him to bulk up some more or for them to reduce the padding in the suit. I actually don't mind a Superman that isn't super bulky. Christopher Reeve was not. He was just really fit. He was really fit. And, um, and I think that likewise, Brandon Routh's Superman, which was kind of modeled after the Christopher Reeve Superman, was not freaking Man of Steel Superman. What's that actor's name? Sorry. I, I just named two or three actors, maybe just two. So give me a break. Uh, dang it, I almost had it when I wasn't focusing on it. I almost had it. I, yeah, it's gone. All right. So I don't remember his name. But, like, he's a monster. That guy's huge. I think he's bigger than dude who played Thor. I, I'd be, I was just thinking last night, I wonder if their measurements are anywhere online to see which one bulked up more. Uh, because, dude, he's a monster. <laughs> uh, but I don't expect him to be that. Um, but I don't like the, the padded look. So, anyway, uh, here's something I do love about the show, though. The character Jordan, the other brother who's not developing superpowers and was kind of the traditional jock of the two... He loves Jonathan. I'm just so surprised and moved and delighted by how much he loves Jonathan. You would totally expect in this episode for him to be jealous and upset that his brother, Jonathan, who is not a geek, not into sports, is suddenly able to kick butt as a quarterback like nobody's business. Um, when Jordan's skill is all hard-earned and developed himself. In fact, the coach, being a jerk... Actually, after he sees what Jonathan can do, makes Jordan like run a few laps. He's like, you should have told me your brother was so amazing. So that's poo on you. Go run some laps. I was like, dude, that that coach needs to be written up. That is totally inappropriate behavior. And I'm sure, you know, stuff like that does happen. But yuck. Um, but no, no. At the end of the day, at the end of this episode, Jordan pleads with his dad to allow Jonathan to be on the football team because he noticed some social things that were happening. This wasn't just a revenge fantasy for Jonathan. Jonathan's a good kid. These are good kids. That's so cool to see this happening. Yes, they still struggle with moral choices. Yes, they have moral failings, but they have this, this moral center, this moral foundation that they return to. It's wonderful to see happening. And Jordan pleads with Clark to let Jonathan play football because he sees what it's doing for him socially, the friendships he's developing. And Jonathan himself, there's a wonderfully mature moment that he has with with a, a character that um, even Spider-Man, as, as virtuous as that character is in the Tobey Maguire movies, gave into a revenge fantasy, you know, um, in even that first movie. Um, and Jordan does not. It's just... It's great. It's great. And, and, I, and I'm really appreciating the casting. I think I'm seeing more of why they cast uh, the, the character playing Jonathan. Um, he's fitting to that role. I'm understanding more of who that character is. And I, and I do think it's really good casting, both in terms of his performance and in terms of just his look. You know? Um, yeah. I, I think he's, yeah, he's great. He's great in that role. And Jordan. I, I love... He is cast you know they're casting this typically attractive you know teen guy in that role and i love that casting because of how subversive his character is in not being um ultimately 
as empty and superficial as your CW character is typically going to be in a CW series at that age. But for him to have substance and, and moral grounding, I just love being delighted and surprised by the choices that Jordan makes. This is, wow, wow. And it's not sacrificing the drama. You know, you get a show like Seventh Heaven, and I think you, if you, anybody remembers that show, or Full House, and you have this family that's just overly saccharine, overly sweet, overly loving in a way that does not feel real. I mean, like, overly loving, is that really a thing? No, it can't be. Not if it's real love. Um, but it's it's a it's a fake feeling love so many times in TV shows in the past, and that's not what I what, what I feel anyway. Watching this show, uh, these characters are flawed. <clears throat> excuse me, are flawed, and they sometimes don't know what to do, and they sometimes do make the wrong choices, and they do have some moral failings, you know. But their but their moral center that they keep coming back to is really strong and it's just a, a delight and um yeah very enjoyable and moving i i love the 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 husband and wife hushed chats going on between um clark and lois i can relate to that where you're sharing a moment with your spouse that you don't want your kids really to hear you may be talking about them or whatever but it's just this little private moment that uh, husbands and wives can relate to and really love them, understanding that and playing that up. I love Clark's quiet but firm discipline. That's something that really I've uh, tried to have as I discipline my boys, you know, and not raising my voice, but just changing the the, the quality of my voice, you know. And there's a moment where where Clark says to uh, to Jonathan, go to your room right now. When you would totally expect any other parent, and especially in a TV show like this, to blow up and say, in your room now, you know. But he doesn't do that, you know. But you can tell that, like, he's contained, he's self-disciplined, um, he's not letting his anger rule him. Clearly he is angry. But more than that, he's in control and just using a firm voice to communicate the seriousness of the situation to his to his son. Instead of communicating anger he's more communicating seriousness over the situation and that is something as a parent is what i've always tried to do and um and so to to see that happening i'm like wow um yeah to, to even like even if like this show is written and run by people who are lousy parents i have no idea what they are as parents or if they even have skill as parenting for them to be aware of that type of parenting style and then to have Clark doing that, I'm like, this is great. This this is great. And there's some, you know, in less functional moments, the, Lana's family is uh, less functional and her daughter, and there's a lot of dysfunction there. Um, but there's a great moment of transparency and reconciliation between Lana and her daughter in this episode, too. And so, yeah, I, I was even thinking to myself after watching this, I was like, gosh, this I'm liking this show so much that I could do a, I could do a, a series on on this covering every episode probably um unless it tanks at some point but i don't know maybe when season one is done i think it's already been greenlit for a season two then maybe i will uh yeah maybe maybe i'll, I'll do something i'll consider doing something along those lines i don't know probably maybe not a shawarma but yeah I, I don't know i don't know anyway if you'd be interested in that let me know that'll encourage me to to uh, to prioritize thinking about what i could potentially do there um, and then this coming weekend, I don't always talk about what's coming, but this coming weekend is my gaming weekend with my buddy Mark. Can't go out to California still where he lives, which we're bummed about. 
but for the second time now, we're going to have an online gaming weekend, playing video games together, going to do some Far Cry 5, going to do some Path of Exile, going to do some Ghost Recon Breakpoint, and if I can convince him, we will do some Monster Hunter World. Uh, really looking forward to uh, to connecting with him, at least in the limited way that we can, and I'll probably be talking about that next time, but for now, that's my Geek Week. And that's all for this week, guys. Stay tuned after the credits for... Justice League Snyder Cut Shwarma. I'm sorry if you were looking forward to the next installment of Adam David Colling's B5 Shwarma series, which I have so appreciated, Adam. Thank you again so much for that. Um, really have just raised the bar for that kind of content on this show. So thank you so much for all that you've done there and just the attitude and the, the spirit, the demeanor, the thoughtfulness that you bring to that. Just uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. So I do look forward to getting us back on track with that. But... I just thought, well, come on, come on, let's uh, let's unload here. So, um, for those who are interested, yeah, stay tuned after the credits. I'm gonna unload on a bunch of uh, spoilery thoughts on Justice League: The Snyder Cut, Snyder Cut Schwarma, one and done. Uh, next week, if God allows it, my gosh, there's a bunch of stuff that I could review. I don't know if I can review all of it. But we've got Dota Dragon's Blood, the premiere of a new Netflix series, which I'm not interested in Dota and all, but I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, fantasy, I'm in. I'm going to at least give it a try. Um, Secret Magic Control Agency, also on Netflix, premiering next week. The Irregulars, also premiering on Netflix. They've got a lot of like geeky stuff premiering next week. And then uh, there's the Future Games show. I don't know if there'll be newsworthy stuff to talk about, but once again, this year... E3 has been canceled, and so we can expect a bunch of these little events to be peppered throughout the summer, beginning as early as now, I guess. I I do seem to remember as early as late March or early April last year is when the first one came along, and so this is about the time, I guess. Um, So I I don't know yet how much I'm going to cover. I think I will cover less than I did last summer. Last summer, I was just testing the waters, like, okay, well, how... How am I going to do this this year? And now that this year is basically going to be the same in terms of content being put out there as last year, I have an idea that I will do less. I'm not sure what it'll look like, though. Um, Anyway, so I may comment on that. But definitely a priority of mine is to review the premiere of Invincible, the animated series based on the acclaimed comic book, and that's on Amazon Prime next week. So uh, that, at the very least... And maybe some of that other stuff probably too. Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions and earning some fun rewards by becoming a Spirit Blade Insider of any subscription tier over at patreon.com slash Productions. I'd also be grateful for positive reviews wherever you find this podcast. Thank you guys so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. The Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening.
An update is available for this program. Please stand by. Update complete. into some spoilers here for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Now, I should let you know from the start, this is not the same content you will find on the Christian Geek Central YouTube channel. After I uh, recorded for the podcast and edited it all together, except for dropping in the two reviews and then this content here, then I saw the movie and my I recorded my spoiler thoughts, which ended up running over two hours. <laughs> So that mammoth video has already been uploaded, uploaded, and as I record, this is available to patrons of all tiers. And uh, we'll be uh, as soon as I kind of get all my other ducks in a row, get the uh, Falcon Winter Soldier review up and stuff. I'll start working on getting that uploaded to the the main channel as well. So hopefully, not too long after you uh, are able to get this, you'll be able to get the full two-hour version. So what I'm going to do now is go through the numerous stickies that I used to create my notes for that two what became a two-hour video. Uh, and just I just circled a few major highlights that are super spoilery type stuff. There's certainly comments I made that I guess wouldn't be considered major spoilers. they just things that I uh, was able to zero in on when, when talking about them in that spoiler video. Anyway... So, let's just, and we're going to cover the whole thing, because in the, in the video version, I made timestamps for each part uh, that, that the story is split up into, so if you want, you can kind of, like, inch your way through that whole mammoth story, and also, at the same time, if you want, simultaneously inch your way through my uh, spoilery thoughts and stuff, but right now... Um, since I'm going to be hopefully pretty brief here, I'm just going to talk about spoilers for the whole thing, but I'll do it in rough chronological order. First, Desaad. I did not know. I, you know, I avoided spoilers and trailers and everything I could for this movie before watching it. And so Desaad's inclusion was uh, a really neat treat, and they were going for just a different look for him with uh, making him less human. Usually the, the new gods look human in the comics, um, or just kind of like weird looking humans, but they were really going for something, I think trying to unify them all so that they could all conceivably be part of whatever the same race that, that, uh, dark side is with kind of gray bumpy skin and stuff. And so, uh, this version of Desaad and also the communication tool that he used, which is kind of like the Kryptonian one, except it also has these dripping molten fiery things, you know, very evocative of kind of traditional Im images of hell, which seems very appropriate for apocalypse. But anyway, loved, uh, loved his inclusion. Um, we've got the Barry Iris, uh, the Barry rescues Iris scene the bear berry's kind of origin not in his origin but his introduction and but it's interesting that's been talked about because that's parts of that scene have been online for a while um and it was always referred to as him rescuing iris she's never identified as iris that i can see in that scene and so they could back out of that 
in the Flash movie and not use her if they don't want to um, as Iris. But there did seem to be significance between them, you know, in when he locked eyes with her, it was kind of like a love at first sight kind of moment. That's the vibe I was picking up. So if they're going to treat this movie as canon, they would be wise, I suppose, for continuity's sake to use her as Iris. But uh, I'm sure she's a solid actress. I mean, they wouldn't have cast her at at this point if they didn't have long-term intentions and thought that she would be up for them. But um, Victor's power level. Let's talk about that a little bit. I think I alluded to this in my review, but my gosh, he basically has command over anything technological and knowledge of anything that's recorded technologically. He can set off the world's nukes with with a thought, his father says. There are no secrets to him. Um, you know, when he... It's even more clear in this cut of the movie than it was in the Justice League cut, the, the theatrical cut, why he's able to just call Alfred by name and say, don't worry, Alfred, I've got it from here when he takes control of the, the Nightcrawler. Um, be- and it's not because, you know, he's been talking to Batman and gotten to know him and that Alfred's his buddy or whatever. I, I can totally easily assume by that moment in the movie, it's like, no, he just knows Alfred because he knows who Batman is. He knows everything. He knows all of Batman's secrets. He knows it all, you know. Uh, so it's really cool because when you have a character like Cyborg who's relatively unknown and you have him standing next to the big dogs, uh, you need to up his power level so that you can feel like he's useful. He's going to be useful on this team. And uh, so that was really cool. Uh, I talk a little bit in my expanded spoilery thoughts about his uh, kind of Robin Hood leanings, both in how he... Uh, hacked that girl's grades before he became cyborg and then how he helped that woman out financially after becoming cyborg uh so uh, if you're interested in kind of like my reactions to thematically him kind of doing things that are not necessarily morally right but justifies them to kind of help the underdog you know i do share some thoughts on that in the in the in the longer video but like from a more geek fan perspective the, the observation that i made is oh my gosh iron man who uh, Tony Stark at his peak in the Marvel movies could never do what Cyborg is capable of doing on a technological level. And I love that. Not be, not in a DC versus Marvel kind of way, but it, that it differentiates it from Marvel. That Marvel's characters are generally less powered than DC's characters. And you have to just write stories differently the more powerful you make characters. Because you think to yourself, well, gosh, how can we create a challenge for them? Well, when you can't challenge them physically, then the challenges need to become more personal and emotional. And I like that kind of storytelling. And so um, I I love how crazy powerful Victor is because it allows for us to continue stories potentially with him in the future where he's kind of questioning his own humanity or haunted by this... you know, state that he's in, even though by the end of this movie, he seems to be kind of at peace at it. So, which is a big question in my mind. Seems like his arc is pretty well done. They're going to have to start him from a new, you know, point uh, and give him some new conflict, new internal issues or something that to, to work through if and when we see him in another movie. Um, I, I loved Mara's moment where she freaking pulls the water out of Steppenwolf's, like out of his freaking face. <laughs> the first water comes out, and then blood. And sitting next to my wife, I was just like, I just couldn't help myself. I was like, Yeah, yeah, do it, do it. 
It was such a cool moment because we've not seen her do that, even in the Aquaman movie, I don't think. And that's such a cool ability. I always wanted Aquaman, frankly, to have that kind of command over water like Magneto has over metal. Because that's even more powerful than a command over metal. Then you can face down Superman, and if you're ripping the water out of Superman, you... Man, then Superman is in serious trouble. Uh, So, yeah, that's... That's a really cool ability. Really glad they tapped into that. Uh, oh, we have with this scene with Martian Manhunter being posing as uh, as Martha, um, and that you know that was a really cool scene. And I love that Diane Lane, whether be, whether it was because she knew what they were doing with the the scene at the time they filmed that, or it was just because it was a directorial and actor choice, she gave no hints that she was not Martha or things were not as they appeared. Um, she played that as Martha, uh, and I, I love that because it speaks to a couple of things. You know, when you watch that scene, if you don't know who Martian Manhunter is, then it could cheapen in your mind, potentially, that scene and the beauty of it between Martha and Lois. But it doesn't, for me, I was surprised a bit. I, I was, when the red eyes appeared and Diane, was, Diane Lane was in the hallway getting ready to transform into Martian Manhunter after she'd left Lois... Uh, then uh, I was like, what is this? Are we segueing into a Terminator scene here? What the crap? And I totally forgot that there was a rumor that Martian Manhunter was going to be in this. And so when he appeared, I was like, no way. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> um, and I knew that if he did appear, he was going to be that it was going to be that actor. I watched a commentary that Snyder had previously done where he, you know, kind of outed that character as being Martian Manhunter in his mind. So um, but it was cool to see that play out. But here's why it doesn't cheapen the scene for me. Martian Manhunter, as DC geeks know, is an enormously powerful telepath. And so uh, even though this the audience isn't helped to understand this, which is arguably a weakness of the movie, um, as comic geeks who know who Martian Manhunter is, uh, I-, I can totally believe that he is representing Martha accurately because he has read her deepest thoughts and feelings and all that she's going through. In fact, it may even be that in doing so, he empathizes with her so deeply because he really firsthand kind of feels what she feels. And so, uh, yes, he's mimicking her, but at the same time, maybe those emotions that Martha was expressing in that scene were uh, all not just not just perfect representations of Martha's feelings, but also John himself, John Jones, being kind of caught up in the emotion and just really uh, empathizing like no one else could with Martha's feelings. And so, um, as a geek, that was a really gratifying scene, even though you know, for a moment there, I was like, oh, how do I feel then about the the scene with Martha? But then I, you know, it just took a second for that fan knowledge to kick in. And uh, uh, and I suspect that Zack Snyder is kind of counting on that based on what he does later on with the, the black suit, which we'll get to in a little bit here. Uh, Flash can go at light speed. I, I, don't, I could be wrong. I don't think that was mentioned in the theatrical cut. Uh, he certainly did not actually go to the speed of light in the climax of the theatrical cut. Um, but it was awesome to see them go to this place. As I was saying a moment ago, the the power level of the DC heroes is is one of the significant things that continues drawing me back to them because the stories are just different. The animated DC uh, series directors of Justice League said in a commentary and they kind of apologized, like, "Listen, we know that Wally can move so much faster, but when you can get, when you have a speedster that can move at light speed, it's just really hard to create challenges for him." And I'm not sympathetic to that. Even at the time, I was like, "Well." freaking read the comics they're challenging him every month even though he can move at nearly the speed of light you know um and so 
Same with Justice League. Wally was a light speed speedster in the Justice League for a good long stretch, and they found ways to continue challenging the Justice League. Uh, now I know they're writing for different audiences, so maybe that's a factor. So anyway, I'm always a little bit irked when The Flash is represented outside of comics in either cartoons or the TV series, and he's not as fast as I know The Flash is or can be in the comics. And so for them, basically in The Flash's first proper outing to just start him off at, yep, he can do light speed, I'm like, yes, thank you. Now we can really explore some stuff. I did not want him to just be... Kind of like Quicksilver, but the DC guy. Because Quicksilver was so cool in the X-Men movies that, like, after I saw that, I loved what they did with him. But there was another part of me that was like, okay, now Flash cannot just be the the red-suited version of Quicksilver. They have got to seriously power him up and have him do what only the Flash can do. Because there's no question between comics fans that are familiar with both characters that by far the Flash is faster than Quicksilver. Um, or at least at the time that they did that DC Marvel crossover. I mean, it was just, it was just obvious. He was, he was faster. But anyway... Um, Steppenwolf, oh yeah, I, I I love that when they were getting ready to resurrect Superman, that the threat, the thing that might go wrong was not a uh, pet cemetery, the whole pet cemetery joke, you know, which really just came across as silly, them playing, you know, using that joke. That was clearly seemed to me to be a Whedon device. Um, and instead, in the, in the Snyder Cut, they're... There's a chance that they will actually hasten what they are trying to avoid by resurrecting Superman. They might actually hasten Steppenwolf finding this mother box, creating the unity that's going to terraform the world, and everyone's doomed. <laughs> so there's this great irony there, this great dramatic tension. It's such a gamble for them. And the gamble is so much more interesting, and the stakes are so much higher in that moment when they're fearing that than fearing a potential pet cemetery scenario that then very seemingly conveniently comes to pass. Well, I think the reason they came up with that idea of like, oh, maybe we'll have a pet cemetery scenario, we've got to watch out for that, is because that was already what Snyder was doing, was something that was akin to, you know, pet cemetery, where him wake, he's waking up and he's initially kind of evil or angry or whatever, you know. And I actually liked that whole scene and that whole thing happening better without the pet cemetery gag it, it kind of cheapens it and made it cheesy when they pre-referenced pet cemetery before pets the pet cemetery quote-unquote scenario happened in the way it plays out here um is is kind of unexpected i mean it's not unexpected because i saw the theatrical cut but but i think it will play to a new viewer as as more unexpected and but still believable that like here's a person who's been dead whether you know the, the, this movie continuity acknowledges the existence of a soul or not, they have been dead and in a very different state for at least weeks. To come out of that, you can believe they would be disoriented, maybe not quite themselves and stuff. And so the, I, I was able to just kind of allow for the logic of this fight happening between Superman and the League, you know. And part of that is because as nerds, we want to see the pecking order at some point. <laughs> and so maybe we were more readily accept uh, explanations that will allow that kind of fight to happen because we just want to see the fight happen, right? <laughs> uh, all right, moving on here. Um, we've got in the climax flash having this, 
uh, countdown with Victor, and he's to, to build up to get the timing just right to deliver this electrical charge to restart the mother box again um, and, you know, get it to do what it needs to do. And so adding that whole thing that Flash has to pull off with Cracker Jack timing um, is, uh, is really cool. It added to the tension. I felt like the theatrical cut lacked so much tension in that moment. Um, now, I will say that the the Snyder Cut also kind of um, uh, killed some of the tension a bit with Superman showing up. No, he wasn't cheesy in the 1950s version of Superman and talking about truth and justice and all that dumb crap. <laughs> You know, but it did seem too easy when he stood in the way of Steppenwolf's axe and didn't even move an inch when the axe hit him. Uh, and he was just so casually taking Steppenwolf to town and was kind of feeling a bit like a one man justice league. And, and I, I wanted instead for Superman to actually just really put the odds in their favor, not just kind of like win the whole battle for them, which he virtually does. But thankfully they do kind of, uh, have the flash thing go wrong. Flash gets injured. It looks like a really serious injury. Cause I, I wasn't sure. Can this version of flash in this movie, can he regenerate that? That wasn't clear. I don't think we ever got into that much in the, um, the the theatrical cut maybe just a, in a very subtle way but anyway when i saw that serious injury i was afraid for barry um and then realized that oh no it's too late dark side won and then he actually asked a freaking turn back time so even though superman seemed a little overpowered to me i was grateful that they found a way to say okay well we don't need just superman we do need a justice league superman cannot do everything on his own um you need people that have specific powers that are greater than what superman can do um and so I, I think maybe it calls into question Wonder Woman's um, role in the group. Uh, I mean, she maybe has magic type things covered, but in, she has a lot of the same types of powers as Superman. And now she clearly seems to be f way underpowered compared to him. So it'll be interesting to see how they what they do with that dynamic of their two power levels in, in future appearances of the two characters. Darkseid, Desaad, and Granny Goodness appear in that portal near the end. Um and uh, the, the Granny Goodness was a very subtle kind of presence, although I suspect that she was maybe being referred to when Victor was in that uh, that illusory world of the mother box where he saw this image of this perfect version of his family and stuff that he ultimately said, I'm not broken to, which I have some comments on that and the, my extended spoiler thoughts. Uh, but there was like some, some strange gray haired weirdness going on as those images distorted and fell apart, which said to me, Oh yeah, granny goodness, you know, she's known in the comics for brainwashing people trying to brain. Maybe she was through the mother box trying to brainwash, uh, Victor here. So I don't know, but we did actually see, uh, a, a female figure that clearly seemed to be Granny Goodness. It was actually the only human-looking character of the Apocalyptians or, you know, the new gods or whatever that we saw. Um, anyway, I loved that Flash moment where he turns back time. I know I'm getting kind of a little out of sequence and random here, but uh, love that music there. I, I got chills. I almost kind of started tearing up a little bit, and I talk about why that is in my extended thoughts and the relationship that I think it has to... God putting eternity in our hearts and us on a subconscious or conscious level desiring a better world and we want ourselves to be something greater and better and we want wrongs to be righted and stuff. So I, I go into my thoughts uh, significantly more in, in uh, that video. So again, I, I'll plug for you to check that out. Let's see here. At the very end in the epilogue sequences, uh, 
Um, we have Batman standing on a tank Batmobile, which is clearly modeled after the uh, the Dark Knight Returns comic book by Frank Miller. Here we have an aged Batman, at least compared to what we've seen in the cinema before, and a clear reference to the Dark Knight. You know, they were pulling inspiration from that story during Batman vs. Superman, so maybe this is just another nod to that, but could it also possibly have been, uh, in the initial concept, a hint that we were heading into telling that story, a more direct adaptation of that going forward in the future? Um, and Or was that an addition that happened uh, as Snyder was putting the cut together this last year. And it wasn't part of his original vision, technically, because there were some things that he added via reshoots in the last year that were not even a part of his original vision for the what, what would have been his 2017 film. So I have questions about that and a lot of questions about... Ben Affleck's potential role in the future, despite saying in the past, I'm done with this role. After saying that, he agreed to do reshoots. He agreed to make an appearance in the upcoming Flash movie. Is he really done with the role? Or will the success of this project potentially woo him back into at least involvement in group character projects, if not uh, standalone Batman movies. I think this ship has sailed for him to do standalone Batman movies. Um, but uh, anyway, we'll just see what's possible. I I'm hopeful that he can play this role in a way that will not be destructive to his personal life as it was for him when he played it in Batman vs. Superman uh, in particular, and then in, in Justice League as well. So... Uh, we have Superman still wearing the black suit at the very end when Clark opens up his chest to fly away. And I learned after uh, recording my uh, review and spoiler video that that was actually a color correction thing. That was not something that was done during filming, but it was color corrected after the fact. Zack Snyder uh, just saw an opportunity to use the black suit like he'd always wanted and had ultimately, you know, been denied when he was filming it by kind of like producers that were feeling kind of sketchy about it. So he put that back in. That explains to me why the suit was never referenced in dialogue, which I think kind of hurts the experience a bit. Yes, as hardcore DC fans, we know that the black suit was used by Superman to help him regenerate himself after uh, he um, rose from the dead, you know. So it's fitting here from a fan perspective but even as a fan who knows that i want the i, I want their t I, I want the, the the stories that i want the movies the adaptations to be able to stand on their own and the black suit does not stand well on its own in this uh, in this cut i think they could fix that by if they use this cut as the continuity um, having the black suit referenced briefly or shown briefly in the next appearance of Superman as if he's just finishing up using it and doesn't really need it anymore. But, you know, they mentioned that he did use it for a short time because he was not really up to his full power again. Although, geez Louise, if what we saw with him fighting Steppenwolf was not him at full power, I don't know. Maybe his battery was broken and he was at full power, but he just couldn't retain a charge as long. <laughs> they can come up with explanations for this crap. Um, let's see here. Um... What else? What else? Uh, black suit. Oh, Deathstroke is told Bruce Wayne's identity. Um, so that will be interesting. That's different from the original suggestion that they're going to be putting together a, an Injustice League. Uh, but in this cut, it's not that. It's uh, He's telling him Bruce Wayne's identity, which could make things interesting for Bruce Wayne uh, whenever we see him next. Um 
Then in the final, final uh, epilogue stuff, we've got the future flashes where uh, there's a lot of things I could talk about. Again, I got I do talk about a lot of this stuff at the end. There's so, so much here, guys. Um, so it's a two-hour video. <laughs> uh, but Joker references alternate timelines. And I have a lot to say about Jared Leto's performance in that video. Uh, but... The the Joker references alternate timelines. There's a reference to the multiverse when they talk about the anti-life equation. Uh, I think that Zack Snyder... And, and it's worth saying that this final scene, this future flash, was all um, done in the last year. It was not done during the original shooting. This was all reshot material. So I'm going to be picking it apart because I think that... The actors that are included in this scene, the the things that are said by the characters, all of this speaks to what Snyder would really like to see happen. Um, this was this is not. It doesn't seem to me doing a scene like this um, when you didn't have to. I mean, this scene is not needed. It is not needed. Holly and I both agreed that you that really the best place to end this movie is when Superman opens up his his shirt and then you cut to black. That's a great ending. We know that danger is still coming. We don't need this big extended flashback sequence to remind us of that um so you know you don't need this scene but i th- i can't help but speculate that Zack snyder is expressing his wishes um to do more and to have this continuity treated as canon moving forward and to pick up these threads that he's putting down right here so i think he's really saying cyborg i want cyborg in my future and i'll use cyborg if you guys give me the reins again um i think he's saying i want to use more mara i will use more mara if you give me the reins again i'll use leto as joker if you give me the reins again um and uh yeah so i I think that there's a lot we could pick apart from this thing that would indicate what snyder is interested doing in the future if the reins were ever to be handed back to him even partially um and then after that dream sequence, we've got uh, Martian Manhunter uh, interacting with Bruce. Another scene that is not needed. You know, I think all the Martian Manhunter stuff, you don't need him in this movie. It was really fan service. And I'm totally fine with that, you know. Um, and I would love to see this version of Martian Manhunter appear in uh, another movie. Um, I think, as I kind of talk about in my extended thoughts, um, that uh, there's potential for this if it does well enough um, which is just going to come down to HBO Max subscriptions and the data that they receive about people watching it and people maybe hanging on to their subscriptions for an extra month or coming back for an extra month down the road and watching this again. I mean, the data they collect on people watching this movie, it'll take probably a few months unless it's enormously successful very soon. But I think uh, the next few months will determine much of what happens in the DC universe in the future, because even though the flash script has presumably been written, they can still do a little bit of rewriting. I don't think they've started filming yet, even though they've cast Ben Affleck as Batman and Michael Keaton as Batman. Uh, They're going to do some interesting multiverse stuff. That movie is reportedly, or presumably, I should say, not reportedly, presumably going to create a soft reboot for the DC cinematic universe. And so the Snyder cut coming now is very valuable uh, to me, because if the Snyder Cut is successful, there is time still to make that reboot steer the direction of the DC universe in a way that honors the tone of the Snyder movies and what they set out to do. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm uh, after watching this movie, uh, I, I really loved it. 
Can't wait to watch it again. Still haven't had a chance to do that. I'm going to try and wrap all this up so I can uh, end my work. I, I was up late last night. I put in a lot of extra hours last night. So I'd like to use the extra time if I can. End my day early. Get in some more Justice League. Man, that was a good time. Again, uh, if you want to really take a deep dive with me for two hours, I touch on the stuff I've just touched on and a ton more with timestamps and details, you know, that can tell you specifically the kind of things I talk about if you scroll down through the notes on that video. So go to youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central for way, way more than you probably want from me. That's all for now, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.